morning, friends. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. It's Monday morning. Top of the morning to you. Welcome to the program. I'm your host, Dr. Matt Townsend, your life coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to another show where we uh, help you live longer, love stronger, and lead the ones you're with. You gotta, you gotta live longer. Today we're going to be getting into that. Big time. Maybe music will help you live longer. Have you ever noticed that music makes a big impact on how you uh, feel and how you see the world? We've got researchers that can prove it. We're also going to be talking to um, a, a, an expert on Facebook. I thought my like my wife, she's the best expert I know on Facebook. But uh, Facebook and happiness, uh, you know, being a passive Facebook user, not necessarily good for your health. The more active you are, the better you it is for your psyche, your psyche. So we'll be talking about that later today in the show. We're also going to have our uh, our Washington D.C. insider Joe Cannon will be joining us. We're going to do a little uh, political roundup, our own Sunday morning show, political show, but we're going to do it Monday morning. Know what I mean, Terry? That's how the show works. Yeah, we're not working on Sunday. No, that's the Sabbath. Some of the things they probably talked about yesterday yeah, were the rumors that Ted Cruz, <laughs> he's in the senator from Texas, would be uh, he's got a big declaring. Well, he already did this morning. He declared on, on Twitter. He done tweeted. He's in. The normal. Uh, I watched the video. Did you? It's about 30 seconds. Did it move you? Did it feel like a political? It felt like a political ad. You have did a bunch it? of uh, generic. Were there flags? Lots of flags. A lot of generic, just smiling people in different random situations from sh- the farmlands to the cities to, you know. Did he show a, a lot of sad, depressed Democrats? No. Okay. Everyone was upbeat. He was, you know, there are a lot of, a lot of words about how great the country yeah, is. positivity. There's a lot of uh, conscient. Oh, he didn't say conscientious. There was a certain term. But he talked about the people he's going to, he wants to be part of and lead. Excellent. Because you got to talk about being a leader when you're going to run for president. See, so this is the beginning. They're all going to start getting in. Yeah. He skipped the whole exploratory committee. He, he's jumped not. Jumped right yeah. to the candidacy. He's not like Trump. No one ever does an exploratory committee and then backs out. No. Yeah. Well. I mean, like, we okay, so my, kid, my committee Trump explored will. it, and then they basically said, don't go near it. Yeah. Yeah. If you're going to go that far, you're you're in. You're, you're just going through the motions. Uh, a lot of it has to do with fundraising laws, yeah. how, what kind of fundraising you can do. And so uh, he's going to have a press conference today, Ted Cruz, at uh, Liberty University in Virginia. Okay. It was founded by uh, Jerry Falwell. Yeah, that's always so, a, that's a, that's a big, you know, that's how you get the conservative wing. You got to hit Liberty. Get that, uh, yeah. And then uh, according to his advisors, Cruz will try to raise 40 to $50 million over the primary period. So Iowa. Wow. So he's he's got to raise forty, 40 to fifty to fifty million dollar to yeah. just to get through primaries. And it's gonna be more than that if you actually want to win the primaries, yes. you think. Wow. Well, I mean like so should I run for president? I don't know. Do you think I could raise a billion dollars in the next eighteen months? Eighteen months. Is that what it is? Yeah. Or so. 
I mean, just that right there excludes so many. We got to ask. We got to ask Joe Cannon about that because a billion dollars is. I mean, that's crazy. Who could really go raise a billion dollars if you're not a Clinton, a Romney, a Bush? Who knows how to raise a billion dollars? A Bloomberg? Yeah. It's a crazy town. Kind of eliminates a large swath of people. I mean, I could and, easily and for the wrong get reasons. a thousand, ten, ten thousand, twenty thousand dollars. And that won't get you, like, it'll get you maybe five commercials. A media buy. Yeah, maybe <laughs> one, one media buy. The Boston Globe pled over the weekend for Elizabeth Warren to run for president. Really? Senator from Massachusetts. They say she should run if for no other reason than to prevent the big mistake of letting Hillary run unopposed. Everybody keeps saying that. O'Malley may run. But you know what? They just run. But they're all, I think what's happened is, you know, they've, they've all got dirt on them and the yes. Clintons know it. <laughs> no, that's, that sounds pessimistic. But, you know, they're not going to run. You don't cross the Clintons. No. So, I, I, yeah, it's it's an interesting situation. Who's going to run against her? Who's going to challenge that, uh, that political family there? Yeah, I mean, that's just crazy town. John McCain on uh, CNN yeah. this weekend told President Obama to get over your temper tantrum with Israel. Wow. Let bygones be bygones and get back to negotiating. And... How, how did that go? Yeah. It seems like that wouldn't go very well. He said, it's time that we work together with our Israeli friends and try to stem this tide of ISIS and Iran movement throughout the region. You know, put these differences behind us and let's focus on what's important right now. Yeah. You know, Yemen is just collapsing. It's it's ugly town. Not to like, you know, force you to talk about Yemen, but Yemen. This is funny. According Not to Yemen is different than Yaman. Yaman. Yemen, according to Yemeni military officials, a group of U.S. forces have evacuated the Al-Anad Air Base in the aftermath of Al-Qaeda takeover in a nearby city. Mm-hmm. Shiite rebels in the area also issued a call to arms Saturday to, to battle the presidential or the president's forces. Around 100 U.S. troops, including special forces commandos, are stationed at the airbase. Reports out last week had the Pentagon losing track of 500 million in small arms, ammunition, night vision goggles, patrol boats, aircraft, vehicles, and other supplies. Okay, 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 okay. Yeah. Five hundred million. Five hundred million dollars. Okay, let's get that clear. Half a billion. We lost a half a billion dollars in gear, ammo, guns, helicopters, boats, boats, armor, and alive personal body armor. Lots of the the, uh, Washington Post actually had a graph that gave the exact numbers because the Pentagon gave an accounting of what they've lost. Yeah, that's crazy. They have the perfect numbers. Of all the stuff, they have no idea where it is now. If if you lost a helicopter, you you would think you'd be in big trouble. Four, I believe, is what it said on the ground. Jimmy, where'd you park those helicopters? <laughs> they lost two airplanes. They had two Cessna airplanes, a, <sighs> a reconnaissance airplane, so bigger, more look like a cargo type airplane. Those they've lost one Crazy. of those, and it's just a matter of they lost control. The 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 uh, sitting government was taken down about a month ago by they're called the Houthi rebels and uh, they're fighting Al Qaeda but they also don't like us which is kind of a theme yeah, in that region right uh, and and the military uh, armament that we've given the government was then obviously taken by whoever took over oh mommy so that stuff's just floating around now well I mean well, what's, what's the worst thing that could happen with it I guess literally floating with the boats that were taken. And literally, it's now going to be used against us. Yeah, if we try to 
get Yemen back for some reason. I think we should have our sponsorship on the side of the airplanes. This airplane sponsored by the United States of America, helping ISIS take over Yemen. That's just, oh, boy, folks. There we go. I mean, there, when you think about it, that's just that's the game you play. You, you try to fund whoever's in charge, help them, support them, and then if they happen to fall, then everything goes to the other side. This is why so. we need uh, – this is why I think I figured out the Middle East problem. I mean, I spent the weekend thinking it's – Do you have a solution? Uh-huh. They in, need, one, in one weekend, you figured it out? They need March Madness. March Madness. They need a tournament. Something to just kind of preoccupy their free time. Yeah, because I'll bet you a lot of this ceases during like uh, you know during their soccer World Cup tournaments. Possibly. So if we if they just had an NCAA tournament in or their so, area or some sport, sp- yeah, because they may not like basketball. Yeah, they may not. If they if soccer Whatever, is what they want, cricket. Yeah, but because it's totally engaging and everybody just loves each other until you know you lose every team's eventually going to lose and then you get back to war yeah and well and then US is like Kentucky and we'll just eventually win and everyone you know will start over till next year <laughs> is that like just too hopeful thinking but yes it's changing america well it's it's Slowing us down for a weekend or two. I mean, I know a lot of people that aren't even working anymore. So as you said, the Sweet 16 is set. Yeah. Lots of upsets. Top, I, top seed to Kentucky made it through. Yeah. Well, and I mean, oh, boy. Yeah, seven seed Wichita State knocks off that two seed Kansas. That was so cool. Eight seed NC State upsets one, upsets one seed Villanova. I and love it. Michigan State a seven over Virginia, who was a two. Those See? are your bigger upsets. See? It's huge. Oh, Right there, you just got me giddy. So that Wichita game, come on! If they had this tournament, it would distract them from for sure the war. They'd probably give back the all terrorism. They give back a half a million dollars of stuff. There you go. It's not that hard to solve these world problems. You just got to get an NCAA tournament going in the Middle East. We're going to take a break. Our insider Joe Cannon will come and join us. He's going to uh, walk us through uh, kind of an inside view of politics. Tons of questions for him. Money and politics is going to be one of them. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, in the house, our Washington insider Joe Cannon's joining us. He has just a great resume uh, that that touches so many different areas of um, life and politics that we, we just love his insight here on the show. We also like to have him on Monday mornings after all the Sunday shows have been on, and uh, we can get a glimpse of what they've been talking about on those Sunday news programs. Uh, Joe Cannon was chairman of the Utah Republican Party for about four years. He's also the CEO of Fuel Freedom Foundation, which you can find at fuelfreedom.org. Uh, that's an organization whose goal is simply just to, to decrease um, costs for uh, fuel and, and to find ways to make fuel more economical so that would impact businesses and, and people's lives. He was also a candidate for U.S. Senate in 1992, Joe also served as an assistant administrator of the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency under the Reagan administration. He was also the morning, uh, the Deseret News editor 
Right. Uh, in December of 2006. How many years were you the editor of the Deseret News? So not quite four. That's great. Yeah. That was a great job, probably. Uh, it was an interesting job. Because uh, you, again, yeah. but you're kind of the turnaround guy anyway. They bring you in to, tra- to transition things. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I think there were multiple reasons why I ended up being the editor. I, I didn't apply for the job. Yeah, you didn't want it. Yeah, that's right. The uh, board kind of threw it at you. <clears throat> But it was, you know, it was an interesting job. I mean, I love that newspaper. I, I love the people there. Uh, I love what they did. I love, you know, the whole idea of the news. I mean, in the First Amendment, we always like to point out, I mean, the first part of the First Amendment is about religion. But, right. But freedom of the press, the, there's a ton written on that by the founders about how important that is uh, to keep everybody honest. How grade, grade the press today, A, B, C, D, or F overall? <laughs> At keeping their fourth branch of government, you know, solid? You know, that's a pretty good question. Uh, There have been numerous studies which show a a very liberal bias uh, in the press. And the truth is most kids who go to journalist school and then who want to go work for newspapers or TV stations, they tend to be left of center. That's just just how it is. And so I I think – you know, nowadays, if you just imagine that Hillary Clinton had an R after her name oh. as opposed to a D yeah. after her name. And and although I will say on this particular issue, uh, the the media has been has been, I think, fair. Now, yeah. Maybe she doesn't think they've been fair. On but, the email they, scandal. On the email yeah. scandal. It really, yeah, I mean, so, they yeah. are talking yeah. about it a lot more than I thought they would. Yeah, yeah. But just, just imagine the IRS allegations – under a Republican president, uh, you know, Watergate, you oh. hear Watergate, 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 right. you'd, you'd all of a sudden, the, the drums would be beating. <laughs> and, you know, now you don't you don't get quite as much attention on many of the you know, Democratic issues. So that's I think that's just a fact that, that everyone has to deal with. Do you do you see much or know much about and, and what do you see in the Netanyahu politics with Obama. I mean, what's really it's, going on? I, there? I, it's a weird. I really don't know. They Honestly, don't it's, like it's, it's something that I don't understand. As a, just to be clear, I'm a very strongly pro-Israel and very strongly pro uh, Benjamin Netanyahu. So, uh, but even so, even trying to lay that aside, the 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 acts of the the president just seem to be perplexing. Yeah, you know, he just doesn't. Uh, it, it can't be I – mean, there are people who say, well, he must be anti-Semitic. That, that can't be true because right, no. there are tons of, of uh, prominent Jewish people support him, have worked in the White House, his yeah. chief of staff, his secretary of the it Treasury seems like right that would now. It too easy is, just is, to is call a, him yeah, anti-Semitic. So it's, it's not that. It's something else. And I think it has to do with his, his sense of Islam. Uh, you know, I mean, one of his very first principal speeches was to Egypt yeah. and basically holding out a, a, a an olive branch look. Uh, I understand you. We want to work together. So he says things like that. And I, I think he believes I'm not arguing about his belief, but his actions, uh, the problem is don't respect reality right. in the Middle East. Reality is that there's one elected 
uh, government, popularly elected government, by the way, in which representing uh, Israel, in, in which Palestinians who are residents of Israel can vote. Mm-hmm, That's mm-hmm. just not true anyplace. There's one country in the Middle East where Christians aren't persecuted. That's right. Uh, I mean, they're uh, so it's almost uh, like the rhetoric he uses yeah. is. It's different than any we've ever seen. It, it, and I think he hopes. I mean, just, just last week, he, he, he cut a, a, a video to the Iranian people yeah. as though they have some influence on, on right, the right. Iranian leadership. It was like, really, that was baffling to me. And I, I watched the whole thing. I'm thinking, so who's listening to this and what are they going to uh-huh. do? And then, you know, figuratively, but minutes later – uh, the whole the Iranian leadership come out and they trash the U.S. They trash the 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 the, the process, the nuclear process. I, 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 I just don't know. Maybe don't it's know. well, maybe too, for sure. There's, there's something visceral between the two of them. There, I mean, those that, two that, just, that, they that don't is like that is apparent to anybody with eyeballs watching yeah. <laughs> watching them together. I mean, and even how they talk about like when the president called to congratulate him, it was just. There's just something you not congratulate genuine. him. You congratulated yeah. oh, his Israel. party on That's winning. Right. Israel. Right. Yeah. yeah. It seems like, too, maybe uh, that Iran is now um, helping to quell some of the ISIS issues. Well, there is a there is a so there's a backdoor. There's a body of there's a body of belief that uh, that uh, and I'm. The president says this, so it's not. We're not, you know, speculating yeah. that Iran could play a significant role in a peaceful or at least a stable, stable Middle, Middle East. East. So, so that's clearly one of the things that. But you could have that objective and not be quite so hostile, exactly to, to Israel. To, well, to Israel in general and to Netanyahu in, 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 particular. in particular. Wow, I mean, it's again. I, I think. This is what's interesting is the the party we or the person we vote in sends a lot of messages and may blow up a lot of historical message. I mean, he already blew up the the tradition uh, the tradition of um, fighting against Cuba. You know, he's now broadening, opening the doors, inviting Cuba that, and Iran. That's and, what I might I feel kind of good about that. It's interesting, but it's so yeah, yeah. but he's but doing Iran's, things that are like much more yeah. open than, and that scares I guess a lot of people. A way to explain the Middle East issue, a way, is that from the very beginning, going back to to 1948, the State Department and most people, many people in the foreign policy establishment in Washington, in both parties, didn't like Israel and they were much – they were more Arabist. They they'd grown up, uh, you know, with, with uh, Arab countries, and this Israel was a new thing. But every single one of Harry Truman's advisors advised him not to recognize Israel. Really, uh, in, in nineteen forty eight, in mm-hmm. May fifteenth, nineteen forty eight, they said, "No, no, you, you can't do that." And he he viewed himself as actually a modern day King Cyrus, who who liberated. Uh, the Israelites to go back to to uh, Israel, but he so he he was going against it, and and you can see that pattern is very consistent over the years. Yeah. Uh, uh, it, mo- presidents have had to resist lots of their pol- foreign policy advisors to support Israel, but there's been an unbroken support for Israel from 1948 yeah. Yeah. until apparently Today. 2008. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Till Obama came in, huh? But then again, they they still verbalize they're supportive. They they do, and and, and uh, in fact, of course, they are our only actual all in ally. I mean, we yeah. have arrangements with uh, Egypt. We right. have arrangements right. with Jordan. Jordan. 
but are all in pro-American. And, and forget about it, just being pro-American. Look at Israel itself, this little country. This has an amazingly dynamic economy. Uh, yeah. I mean, it really was a piece of desert that they turned into a, a rose garden. And it's you know, it's an amazing story in itself, basically applying yeah. Western democratic principles. And meanwhile, around it, I mean, Tunisia, major struggles right now. Yemen, major struggles. Syria, underwater. Yeah. Well, Libya is, Libya, is uh, upside a down. crack up now. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, no, you've got to. I mean, it doesn't it just doesn't seem like a such a scattered, uh, you know, Middle East is not necessarily a safe Middle East. No, I mean, and 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 again, now getting back uh, to be fair to President Obama, I do think he sees, uh, as many people, most people, it's very important to have a, at least a stable mm -hmm. Middle East. Um, though it's hard to see that Iran has any interest in a stable Middle. Well, they do have an interest in a stable Middle East. Just one, one dominated they dominate. with their sphere of influence. <laughs> so one that where they have all the power. Yeah. So, I mean, maybe that's it. The enemy of the enemy right now is our friend. And if Iran can go in there and stop some of this. But again, also, they've been supporters of terrorism. And big, so, big supporters of terrorism against the United States, but also terrorism against Israel. I, I think one of the interesting parts, uh, not, so it wasn't funny, but uh, telling parts of, of Netanyahu's speech to Congress was – Exactly what you just said. Only the I said no. Generally speaking, in the Middle East, that's a Middle Eastern state. Yeah, it is. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. Right. That that stems out of sort of Middle East. He said no, no. The enemy of my enemy is actually my enemy. They're sometimes. still my enemy. Yeah. <laughs> that's so true. So true. We're talking with our Washington insider Joe Cannon. When we come back, um, I, I also I want to talk about because it seems like, and this is something that is right in your wheelhouse, Joe. Um, oil. Because it seems like a lot of this historically was because yep. of oil, and we yep. needed the oil reserves. But then we sit here in this major oil potential boom in the United States, and I want to know why can't we just get independent? It seems like we have the reserves. It seems like we have what it takes. Joe Cannon's going to going to help us uh, through that. Again, Joe Cannon from FuelFreedom.org. Go check out the website, FuelFreedom.org. We'll take a break. Come back more with Joe Cannon right after the break. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. In the house, our Washington insider Joe Cannon is joining us. Uh, Joe is the CEO of Fuel Freedom Foundation. He also was a past candidate for U.S. Senate, served as an assistant administrator of the U.S. EPA from 1983 to 1985, and was the editor of the Deseret News um, for about four years, from 2006 to 2010. Joe, welcome back, my friend. Thanks for having me, Matt. Thanks it's fun a lot. to pick your brain. I just what we talk about off air is even more interesting, <laughs> but we won't bring it on air. Talk about uh, this, Joe. So it seems like when uh, we first went to war in Kuwait to protect the Kuwaitis in the first war, uh, first Gulf War, I guess um, it was all about oil. Everyone was like, "It's all about oil. We're just protecting the oil." Oil. It was never like stated that way, but 
is how much of this whole uh, involvement of the United States into the Middle East is just about oil? Well, uh, an awful lot of it. Obviously, it's, it's rooted in the history going back to World War One. So there's I won't go into all that. But yeah. but to, to put it in kind of sharp relief, I heard one uh, pretty thoughtful commentator say, hey, you know, um, if the Middle East had a monopoly on broccoli, <laughs> would we be there? And the answer is probably not. Probably not. Yeah. Not so, big on broccoli. So oil is the circulatory system yeah. of uh, of uh, commerce and and the world, and so it's really important. Well, I mean, because we then support Saudi and the Saudi king, um, and before I guess his death, and we, we were big into that, and yet the Saudis aren't really known for human rights and women's rights, and no, but they're big in oil. And the OPEC and all this. So why can't we? And it seems like with um, the different types of uh, natural gas and other forms of, of fuel in the United States, um, and the sand, tar, tar, tar sand, tar sand mm-hmm. is that all of these things seem to me that we could be fairly, you know, oil independent. Well, okay. So the real question: we, we we might not ever get to be true, truly oil independent. Every day, these are very round numbers. The numbers are actually slightly less, but just in, in every day in round numbers, the United States uses about twenty million barrels of oil. It's actually eighteen and a half now. But if we had an economic recovery, it would be 20 around million. twenty twenty, um, yeah, twenty million barrels a day. Okay, we can we have produced historically in the country four to seven. We're now at we're now producing about ten million barrels a day, okay. so about a half our supply. Yeah. But if you take that plus Canada plus Mexico plus friendly sources, you know we're we're moving to we can, uh, I'll call it North American uh, independent. and independence. But the problem is is that the price of oil is actually set internationally. There are two oil prices. There's it's called the West Texas crude. That's the kind of American price and Brent crude, and they're just sli- Brent. The Brent price is slightly more most of the time than, than yeah. the West Texas price. And so we say at our foundation, we say we don't, it's not about importing oil. It's about importing the price of oil. Hmm. What you really have to do is do something about that price. And what we've seen, we've seen dramatic evidence of that just in the last, within this last six or eight months even, you've seen a dramatic decrease from from yeah. an average of about $100 a barrel down to, right now, I didn't check this morning, but over the weekend, it was like $45 a barrel. That's a huge... What caused that? Well, um, a couple of things caused it. Uh, of course, uh, uh, lots of people would be multimillionaires if they could really answer <laughs> right, that question. Right. But, but, but a lot of smart people are saying a, a few things caused it. First of all, the dramatic increase in American oil supply. So in other words, our drilling of oil added that even though over, overall the world uses about 100 million barrels a day. Yeah. Uh, so just a few million barrels more that we started producing, big deal. It's and and I guess showing investment that we were going to keep doing it and people were Could be that too, but, but definitely money. just adding that increment to the supply. Uh, you, had, you had a lot of people believe a, a somewhat of a slowdown in China and then uh, – so those two things okay. together cause the collapse. Now, what often happens when prices start going down is Saudi Arabia in particular and OPEC in general start saying, you know, let's kind of uh, keep the price up. So we will uh, reduce our oil production. Right. So because it's, it, it's, it's economics 101, just a supply-demand curve, uh, less supply, greater price. And so right. – 
the big difference this time around is Saudi Arabia decided not to do that. They're just saying, okay, we'll just ride this down. We've got hundreds of billions of dollars. It only costs them about you know eight to ten dollars a barrel to produce, maybe even less. Some people say uh, so. They they're making a lot of money, even at forty five. They're not making enough money to run their budget, however. So mm. they are sacrificing. They are eating into what it's called their sovereign wealth fund. So they have a lot of money that they can invest in. In effect, they're investing that inside. So that's more thing you want to know that. So prices have gone down. That's, and, that's, and it seems like the economy does better. Everyone seems absolute, happier. There's, a, there's an absolute link to oil prices and the economy. Uh, nine out of the ten last recessions, going back to World War II, have been preceded by a spike in oil prices. Mm. Um, so there's, we can drill down on that a lot. But the, but the point is the price of oil is significant. This cut, this oil price reduction at the gas pump right now is in effect giving us about a $300 billion tax cut. Yeah. Uh, so that would be great. So yeah. The problem, the problem with low oil prices today is not, not really a problem, but the issue with low oil prices is they could go back up again. There's a volatility. And so kind of what our position at our foundation is, is let's create competition at the pump right. so we have choices. So someone can say, you know, today I'm not going to buy that. I'm going to buy this. So in Brazil, you have that just for example. Because you can in, use in, gas, yeah. natural gas, well, more. Um, in Brazil, you use ethanol that comes from um, – uh, Sugarcane. Okay. Uh, in the U.S., we have ethanol from corn. There's a whole bundle of problems, issues <laughs> around that. Our position is you can make ethanol from natural gas, and we have vast centuries worth of natural gas supply. It's cheap. It's cleaner. Uh, at at sixty dollars a barrel. Uh, ethanol from natural gas is competitive with gasoline. But even today, actually, I was in Houston, Texas a few weeks ago. There's a, a service station chain down there that sells regular gasoline for $2.09 and E85, which is 85% ethanol, for $1.50 or about 25% wow. less. And they're selling millions and millions of gallons of it because people have a choice. Now, you only have that choice if you have a flexible fuel vehicle. Right, right. And way we can go way into that. But but the, but the point is we have within the United States the resource base to have a competitive product with oil that is pretty terrific. Indy 500 cars run on alcohol for a reason. That's, they, they're, they're much efficient. Alcohol has much higher octane than right. gasoline, just for example. Yeah, yeah. So there are, all, there are all kinds of reasons for this. But as I say, there's a, there's a, um, you know, a, a very large – Fuel uh, fuel retailers in Houston, Texas, where there's no ethanol. I have mm -hmm. to import that ethanol from uh, from Nebraska, Kansas. Yeah, and they compete at the pump in real prices with. Uh, and that's with, your goal because the competition is going to lower the price. For uh, that's everybody. exactly our 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 goal is to compete with gasoline at the pump with cheaper, cleaner American-made fuels. If that's we were if we were exercising the same amount of focus. That we do on Middle East policy and war. Mm -hmm. uh, if we were focusing that same attention on fuels and fuel competition and fuel prices, would it make a difference? Uh, it could make a difference. I, I will say there are some regulatory issues between getting from where we are to where we need to be in true fuel competition. But really, the genius of America has been in this area, in this kind of area. The market. Let the market work. Right. Remove those barriers to the market working. We don't need subsidies. We don't need mandates. Mm -hmm. Let the market 
work, and that's really what we are promoting, very strongly promoting market-based. Uh, but a certain contingency likes high gas prices, right? Because it makes us supposedly more eco-friendly. It pushes more eco-friendly. So there's a, there is a, a dispute within the environmental community on that. It's one of the people we spent a lot of time with is a guy named Carl Pope, who was, was the head for many years of the Sierra Club. Carl's a very smart guy. And you're right. The instinct is, well, if we have higher oil prices, that will force people – like Europe – that will force people to go to alternatives. Okay. Except we've had a – we've had an experiment in that. Oil has gone in in the memories of everyone listening to this audience and and in a space of a very few years from $1.50 to $2 a gallon to $4 a gallon. It didn't. It didn't we just force kept driving. The problem is, is they have a monopoly of a feedstock, so people don't really have the op- options to right. go otherwise. So we're saying, create a market and based op- option and market incentive option for people to choose something else. And guess what? They will. They will. Oh, yeah. for sure. I mean, yeah. well, and like, so what's the difference with Brazil? Because they seem to be on Brazil, top of it. Yeah. So there's good news and bad news about Brazil. Uh, Brazil had a general. There, there is a, there is, we need a general, Joe. <laughs> there's a certain virtue. In, in, like a dictatorship. In, they just said, we're going to make this happen. And yeah. it cost them a lot of money. But now, uh, just, just going to the airport, this uh, last week I ran into a Brazilian and he said uh, – we just got talking about it. He said, yeah, we, you can go down and you can put 100 percent ethanol in your car. You can put – Twenty percent gasoline. You can. You have a choice there. Yeah. And so, depending on the price of sugar and the price of oil, you can kind sm- of people make one way a, or another a market decision, just like they do every day of their lives when they go into a grocery store and decide which milk do I which buy milk today? do I buy and which, name which, brand, which, no yeah, name brand. Yeah. So, huh? That's what we want. We we'd like a, a competitive America, a competitive fuel supply system in the country. Well, and I guess, too, then you'd have to have manufacturers, car manufacturers, automobile manufacturers that are on board to yes, similar we spend, goals. We, we spent a lot of time with all of the above, uh, uh, so I won't go into that. But I, but I will say right today, there are 17 million vehicles on the road in the U.S. that can legally use 85 percent ethanol. They're called yeah. flux fuel vehicles. Yeah, we, I have one, and I've yeah. never once Yeah, because, because there's no place that there are – only two service stations in Utah that sell E85. <laughs> they're, Off there, I want you to tell me where they are because I'd well, love to try it. They're both in Utah County. One's <laughs> in Provo and one's in Orem. Well, that's probably why. Uh, and they sell slightly less but not attractive enough price for you to want yeah. to want. I mean diesel too. Diesel's another thing and I don't know if that burns cleaner or whatever. But uh, Well, now diesel does burn cleaner. Uh, you know, 60 plus percent of the vehicles in, in Europe are diesel, diesel. and we have – we had a bad experience with diesel some years yeah. ago, and so that's taking a hard time. But now, almost all the big European and and foreign, uh, uh, not foreign, but you know, uh, other companies are starting to make more and more diesel fueled cars yeah. too. Well, it's a, it's just always it seems so strange for me that we, you know, we can't control this a little bit more. But you know, I guess again, global economy, global. Market. Well, we we do have the ability. Uh, just to be fair, we haven't had the uh, we haven't had the choice or the ability to do it. This cornucopia of natural gas, cheap natural yeah. gas production in the U.S. That's what could facilitate. Just thinking of tra- of natural gas in its various manifest- manifestations, either compressed natural gas mm-hmm. or liquid alcohol fuels, which can come from natural gas, ethanol, and methanol. 
just thinking of this huge abundant supply of natural gas that we have that's vastly cheaper than petroleum on an energy basis. That has only been the case for the last four or five years. We've just barely figured yeah. that out. And so now the market is assimilating that and people figure it out. And, well, and it seems like uh, that's where there's going to be jobs. That's where there's going to be right. growth. So it seems like a good thing. Okay, I'm going to throw you a curveball. Fracking. Okay. Fracking. Give us, give us your best explanation of fracking because we always like we just heard that uh in new york or new jersey a town they they may secede from new york city right. or, york state, or yeah new york state state because they the fracking laws are too tight back there so fracking fracking has been going on for many 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 decades the new wrinkle is that it's been applied uh Sort of a new element is a new aspect of it has been applied to natural gas and to shale oil. So that's where they basically uh, shoot water, water and other chemicals into the into the ground that basically force out of the seams um, the fuel, more fuel, ga- uh, gas and oil. And then they suck that up somehow. Yeah, and then it comes out. So um, fracking has been a huge boom. Uh, the the administrator of EPA herself has basically said she knows of no case where there has been uh, water pollution as a result of fracking. Usually it's very deep and yeah. it's not affecting aquifers that we use. So, uh, so whatever you believe about fracking, I think EPA and the states are all moving toward regulating it in a way it that that – if there are potential issues, they can be dealt with, and and we support that. We say, look, fracking is indispensable for energy independence yeah. for the United States. Yeah. So it's just another means. Yeah. To get and, it done. and a means and it's seemingly safe. Yeah. yeah. And that's what they're worried about. Well, there are people who worry about it, and there are some people make extravagant claims. I mean, <laughs> like many of these issues, uh, they end up being like faith based. Are they? As yeah. Opposed yeah. To, yeah. Don't mess with Mother uh, Earth, kind of thing. Uh, uh, Reality one, so there are plenty of smart people who worry about fracking, and that's why we say, "Great, let's let's if you have a worry, let's identify the worry, and then let's regulate around yeah. that worry." And and everybody buys into that, including the oil industry. I, I heard that fracking was the reason why children don't listen to their parents. Is that <laughs> is that far handed? Maybe that's off. <laughs> that, that's probably a little stretch. That's okay. probably a stretch. But. Little stretch. <laughs> I was I wanted to attach. Is either that or Facebook? We had to decide. <laughs> Okay, we're going to take a break and just come back and, and do a little uh, roundtable on um, – I, I want to talk to Joe about Donald Trump getting in the race. Ted Cruz announces today uh, John Kasich uh, looks like he's gearing up to go. Just a little bit more on politics when we come back. More with Joe Cannon, our Washington insider. Go again to uh, visit his website, fuel, uh, fuelfreedom.org. Fuelfreedom.org, right here on the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, in the house. Joe Cannon, our Washington insider. Go to his website, fuelfreedom.org. He just gave us a little tutorial on why, uh, you know, why fuel independence is so difficult in this country. Uh, Before he leaves, though, I wanted to just pick his brain on some of these candidates. Uh, Today, a great big announcement from Ted Cruz. Joe, what do you think? It looks like we'll have 12 or so Republican (laughs) candidates and... 
against Hillary Clinton, except the Democrats seem to be trying to throw other people into that race. Well, uh, I know you want me to go to Cruz, and I will, but but I will say over the weekend I listened to Martin O'Malley's yeah. kind of maiden speech to Democrats in, I guess, DeKalb County, someplace anyway, in, in Iowa. And, you know, he hit all Did of he? the Democrat shibboleths, but, but – so, you know, like any Democrat could have given that same speech. What struck me was it was much more than polite applause that he got. In other words, yeah, he, he, he was connecting with that crowd in a, in a pretty big way. I was, I, I was very interested in that. So, huh. uh, yeah, the, the, I mean, I was listening to it on C-SPAN radio. I'm sorry to talk about no, another radio no, station. go right ahead. But, <laughs> we but, listen to it all the time. <laughs> Uh, now I know you're not telling the truth. <laughs> you have to be a real nerd to listen to see exactly right. <laughs> but anyhow, uh, they they played it, and and I would say the audience, the crowd reaction was very enthusiastic. Now, what what does that mean? Yeah. I don't know, but it was way more than polite applause. Okay, you've touched a hot button that I care about. It was much more enthusiastic. Don't know what to read into that, but he was clearly pumped. Martin O'Malley, and he's from, is it like the, South Ma- Carolina? No, he's the re- former governor of Maryland. Maryland, that's so right. So big, big blue state. Yeah. Uh, and so he's, a, you know, kind of an attractive guy. Uh whether people call us around him in Iowa, you, you know that Hillary Clinton's overwhelming strategic objective, the number one objective, is to not have happen in Iowa yeah. in 2016, but happened in 2008. Her right. that she's doing everything she can, and she's hired lots of big people in Iowa. It's a, I mean, she's. She's yeah. not going to let that mistake happen. On the other hand, Iowa is, is susceptible to populism and to right. you know, it's it's a. Anyway, that's so we'll see if more get in on the Democratic side. Again, you just keep hearing people say, you know, she needs somebody. She needs to run against somebody. Toughen right. her up. Uh, well, and flush not, out. Not just so much toughen her up, but get her get her a little sharper. I mean, her yeah. press conference is not not just the UN one, but yeah. others have been. Uh, and I'm just quoting my Democrat friends have yeah. been a little bit um, below par, subpar. <laughs> That's true. Okay, so Ted Cruz announces today. Yeah, uh, I first guy in, first guy in, and he's trying to get that first mover advantage. He's starting behind at least the two Senate potential Senate candidates, yeah. uh, 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 Rubio, and um, uh, his dad was the other guy, uh, Rand Paul. Paul, yeah. And uh, so they all have three different. They all. It's funny. They all. If you were to say a few years ago, who are the Tea Party senators? Those three there would be the among the, the the heart the heart of that. But all three of them have very different policy views. Sure. It's pretty interesting how they're differentiating themselves. Uh, I'll be interested uh, in in what uh, what Cruz has to say. I mean, he's a very, very good speaker, uh, very very smart guy, uh, but. I think I've said this before on your show. I I think we need somebody who's not a senator to no, be president. I totally agree. Uh, whatever you think about President Obama, uh, almost everybody thinks it's a problem not having had yeah. uh, m- real managerial experience that, that yeah. governors have. The governors have. So, so turning to my you know guy I like a lot is John Kasich, and, uh, yeah. and 
So when George Will writes a piece about somebody, it's not random. Yeah. So he, I, I think Kasich is planning on something, is doing something. And and, and George, I don't know, you know, George do, Will yeah. last he's week the, wrote, wrote a really right. favorable piece on Kasich. And, you know, he's very attractive. He, he won by around 60 plus percent of the vote in Ohio for governor. Uh, but he also was a guy with whom Bill – Clinton balanced the budget right, uh, when he right. was president. Uh, he was uh, he was um, um, Paul Ryan before Paul Ryan. Was a lot it, of people yeah. say uh, so. so he, he, I mean, he would he was the numbers guy. He'd go in and he figure was the out the budget how to committee, and he said, budget. "Okay, we can balance this budget," and they did. That's great. Uh, uh, no, oh, so he's got ties to the balanced budget. That Absolutely, that's actually his main. Uh, oh, wow. His main pitch is let's balance the budget. So he's more of an economic conservative, though he's I think plenty acceptable uh, across the uh, board. I, I heard uh, Cruz def- described today as a full spectrum conservative. Not not sure that Kasich is a full spectrum conservative, but right. but he's good enough for for a lot of people, and uh, I think he could win. Well, and and then you tie him up with. One of these others, a Rubio or something. No, no, no. Kasich Rubio. Don't you think? Because then you've got – Ohio, Florida. That's right. You have an extremely compelling uh, – those two states have to be in the Republican column for them to win. So, Wow. But see, okay, go to the money really fast. Oh, we've only got about a minute. Go to the money. A billion dollars has to be raised at least to win one of these races. Right. The biggest money problem, though, is not the billion, if I could say. It's the first 20 or 30 million that gets you to to Iowa and New Hampshire and South Carolina. So all these guys, they're not trying to raise a billion. They're trying to raise enough to to make them competitive in those three states because if they can emerge from those three states, See, whoever uh, becomes the candidate, I could just say on either party, whoever becomes the candidate is not going to have trouble raising a billion dollars because there's plenty of money the out money's there. The money's going to flow. For when that comes. So yeah. It's really the posting up, the the, the pre-candidate selection posting up. That's That'll be the crucial. Who, who can raise money then? That's interesting. I mean, really, that's actually better because then you only need 30, 40 million bucks. Right. And, and Marco Rubio started out with 10. Start right now. Somebody said, I'm going to give you 10, 10 million dollars to yeah. do this. So, and he's young. And yeah. uh, oh, Joe. Well, it was always fun. It's always fun to have you in here. Uh, one thing on your mind. You got 20 seconds. What's the what are what's on your mind? What are you thinking? We need to you pay know, I, I said this a, a while ago. I'll just say it again. I'm really, really concerned about the rise of anti-Semitism worldwide, but in Europe in particular, and even on our campuses, uh, mm-hmm. many, many of the campuses today, you find it, that uh, Jewish students feel nervous. So there was a, a Jewish student at UCLA who was wanting to be on a, on a student government board. They come in and, and, and they say, well, as a Jew, can you really be uh, do this? Yeah, oh. This is on video. Yeah. You know, I, I'm really concerned that as a, as a Jewish student who's active in Jewish causes, you can't be objective. Well, imagine saying that about any other subgroup. Oh, that's right. You know, so it's just – it's it's interesting. It's not the 30s yet, but it's moving in that direction. Yeah, we're, revert, we're reverting back. Joe Cannon, we appreciate you. Our Washington Insider. Go to his website, fuelfreedom.org. Find out more what they're doing to uh, decrease the costs of fuel for all of us. And uh, we'll have Joe back every Monday to uh, do a little uh, news update for us when it comes to politics and all things Washington. This is the Matt Townsend Show, hour number one. It's in the books, my friends. We will uh, come back after this break. More ideas, more fun right here on the Matt Townsend Show. 
morning, friends. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm your coach, Dr. Matt Townsend, your guide on the side. We do what we can on this program to give you the tools, the information you need to grow a healthier, happier life for you and your family. You know, it's one thing to just go listen to the news. It's another thing to kind of know what to do with it. And on this show, our goal is to give you what you need to live longer, to love stronger, to lead the ones you're with. That is the goal of the program. Welcome. Hey, it's uh, Monday morning. And in when Monday morning comes around, sometimes I think Ugh, a lot of us are like, Ugh, yuck. We, we act like it's, it's uh, Armageddon. But you know what? It's not. I'm feeling pretty good, actually. Believe it or not. I had a great weekend. Um, had a lot of free time. And I thought of you boys while I was just lounging around. I'm installing a new basketball standard in my backyard because uh, we are watching the NCAA tournament and my family, we all want to go recreate it. Really? Yeah. You can't just watch it and go, wow, that was that was entertaining. No. You have to go in the backyard and yes. lower the hoop and mm-hmm. dunk on your six-foot rim, right? Yeah. So we have three basketball hoops in our backyard, but they all have broken backboards. Not to brag, but because my boys and I were pretty ripped. And we know how to hammer it down. On the six-foot rim? Yeah. Okay. And we have full-size rims as well. But we always lower them seven and a half, and then we just ram it down. Then you can show off your hops, right? Oh, yeah. That's, again, not good for plantar. No. But I can't cut. So I just got to go straight to the hoop. Hammer time. (laughs) Why are you laughing? Because I don't see that happening. Every day. Every day? You should see I have a picture of my backboard without a backboard. My entire – it's in the ground. Just all it is is just a pole with support arms waiting for a backboard. (sighs) Isn't it funny how – I remember doing that as a kid, watching the Olympics, Miracle on Ice. Oh, yeah. And playing in the backyard during that Olympics, playing hockey with a broom and a baby crib. Baby crib was the goal. I, I remember growing up that the World Cup would come around, and everyone loved soccer. Yeah, everybody's you go out to recess, into soccer. No one's playing basketball. It's all soccer, <laughs> and then the next week it's all back to basketball. Yeah. Basketball, tag, all that stuff. But everyone runs over to play soccer. Yeah, it's because we're groupies. Yeah. We're groupies. What the heck? It's a, not a big deal. Uh, James, you're still engaged? A little engagement update? So engaged. You're still so engaged with uh, Molotov. What's her name? Yeah, um, Malkovich. Malkovich? Titoff? Mitoff, yeah. Uh, the date again? May 2nd. It's going to be a big one. May 2nd. A fantastic day. You got to write that down. Yep. So pretty much every single weekend is full of just doing wedding stuff. <laughs> that was interesting on Friday. We were talking about the, the horrors of attending wedding receptions. Yeah. Oh. And, and, and James is here planning his wedding reception. I mean, isn't that that's just He's ironic. like, well, hey, guys, you're invited. Yeah. Great. And I'm like, oh, I got to go to this reception this weekend. And, oh. <laughs> what are we eating? Is there going to be good food? Do we know yet? Yes, there's going to be great food. What's it going to be? I mean, can you say? Maybe. Okay. Um, can you, will, will you say it? Sure. Will there's going to be donuts. Oh, I love Ooh. donuts. Yeah. At a wedding? Seems kind of cheap. <laughs> Depends on the donut. I love donuts. No, these are going to be good. Are they going to be homemade? They're those like little donuts. Mm. They're from a food truck. 
We're having oh. a food truck that's going to oh, be yeah. there, and they're going to make them fresh, and it's going to be really, really good. Is the truck going to just be outside of the venue? Yeah. And everyone's going to have to go stand in line? Pretty much. And they're going to have to pay, too. But Does the truck have that really funny horn? It, it has a little jingle going yeah. on the entire time, and there'll probably be some neighborhood kids coming and, and getting stuff as well. Wow. Sounds really awesome. Nice. <laughs> I'm going to eat before I go to your wedding. So we're just going to have somebody <laughs> flag down the truck uh, yeah. before the reception starts. You might want to just call them and see if they can have the truck in the area. You don't oh, wanna... th- that's a good idea. Yeah. Not I mean, leave it up to Chance. Yeah. Okay. I don't know who Chance is, but I wouldn't leave it up to anyone. He's a good guy. Speaking of donuts. Yeah. An L.A. area donut shop mm. called the Donut Bar. They call, them, they, they, they call themselves a gourmet donut shop. Oh, I've seen those. Like, right? Yeah, those are good, though. They have introduced a Pop-Tart stuffed donut <laughs> that they call the Big Papa Tart Donut. Oh, you want the Big Papa Tart Donut? It weighs in at one pound. Oh, blah. <laughs> Anytime <laughs> your food is by weight. Your homeless donut, it's one pound. That is a heavy pastry. Wow. That's like two. That's like, that's like. I guess four quarter pounders. That's just a lot of junk. Two two flavors, strawberry and s'mores. Oh, brother. For the strawberry version, bakers stuff a strawberry Pop-Tart and house-made strawberry jam inside a yeast donut. They then top it off with cake batter glaze that resembles the white topping on a Pop-Tart. Mm. That's like Inception. It's, it's like a, yeah. a stuffed pastry, stuffed pastry. Yeah. Where does it end? Where does it begin? We I, don't know. Whoa. Well, I'll tell you where it ends. Is All in time has been cardiac arrest and bypass surgery. Yes, that's where it ends. Well, there's going to just if be we're keeping score. Another donut shop that's going to do a pop tart stuffed donut stuffed donut stuffed pop tart. It's yeah. all going to be in a pop tart with just this big, huge, heaving donut inside the middle of a pop tart. And it'll weigh three and a half pounds. Yeah. Then there's going to be a pop tart donut eat off where if you eat it, you get the free breakfast. And you get a T-shirt if you can eat this Pop-Tart donut slash Pop-Tart donut. Joke. Yuck. People, you need another hobby. One pound donut. Other than food. In other news. What? Costa Rica apparently went three months using only, only renewable energy. Really? Three months. Setting wow. a new world record. That's amazing. The entire country. They announced that it hasn't used any carbon-burning electricity since the start of 2015. So wow. For the, this whole year. That's cool. They've had a lot of rainy winter providing plenty of fuel for its hydroelectric dams. Okay. So far, 2015 has been a year of electricity totally friendly to Costa Rica's environment, says the State Energy Institute stuff. You know, the press releases yeah. they put out. Yeah. 75 days, reportedly a renewable energy world record. Costa Rica planning to celebrate by obliterating its own benchmark, becoming entirely carbon neutral by 2021. Wow. Last year, it generated about 88% of its power from hydroelectric, geothermal, solar, wind, biomass sources. And they're building more geothermal plants as we speak. What a great, what a great role model. That's why everyone wants to go to Costa Rica for vacation. No, all my friends go and they say it's the bomb. It's beautiful. They say you can't charge your phone, but... You don't need to charge your phone. (laughs) You're on vacation. That's pretty amazing. Again, that's why I wanted to talk to Joe about fuel independence. Like, I'm serious. Why aren't we using more gas in this country? Come on! 
It's got to be something going on. And something going just on. on the on the the saving of your own money. Oh yeah. You know, I, you've heard. If we did like a Manhattan Project, mm-hmm. where you get all the big Smartest, scientists, smart brains. people together to make a weapon for right. World War II, what if you put that on an engine, a carbon-based oh, totally. engine? How could you make an engine more efficient and get it? I mean, because now I was looking at, I've been looking at cars. Yeah, yeah. Some of the four-door sedans are getting like 30, 34 miles per gallon on the highway in a best-case condition. What was that Bugatti getting that you're looking at? Not looking at a Bugatti. Yeah. Looking at more, you know, not Bugatti type vehicles. Non Bugatti, like a family like a family Bugatti. Right, the family. The maybe, family maybe van. A four the Bugatti door, van. The four it's door less popular. SUV cargo van of Bugattis. <laughs> uh but but if we could get something into the forties, fifties, even sixty miles oh. per gallon. We, but you know what? We could. But the problem is there's already a, a vested interest to keep us out of that. Absolutely. That until that was where we need the brains to come together to break that. We break that, booyah. Then I could drive a truck. You could drive a, and it wouldn't matter. That's right. Now it it matters. (laughs) When I think it should just if we could get our cars to just drive on hope, drive on hope. So when we have hope in the world, our cars would be fueled. Really fueled on hope, love. So if you're pessimistic, you're walking. The minute you start fighting with your spouse, man. Car goes down. Well, I love you. No, I'm sorry. I, I, I want to be more physical in my life so I yeah. can walk more. I have a feeling you're going to end up walking a lot more if, if cars are run on love and hope. I don't know if that's really feasible. Oh, it is. This is a pessimistic world we live in. There'll just... be a lot of people walking. <laughs> what was that? It's like there was a movie about that. If we, if we, it's hope floats, it's screwed. Oh, wait, flubber. Different. Oh. or flubber. Flubber. I don't think it was Flubber, was it? No. No. It was it was the Grinch. The Grinch. They changed the world by being happy. Anyway. I'll give you a better way to do it. You want to change your mood? You want to change your perspective on life? What if I told you all it takes is your music? What if just having better music changed your mood? Well, the research shows it does, my friends. When we come back, Dr. Jacob Yolai will be joining us, and he's going to be teaching us all about psychology and the music you're choosing. Up next, right here on The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Do you have a pump-up song that you use to to get you in the mood, get you all pumped up for the big day? Uh, American Authors, for example, Best Day of My Life, maybe, or a football stadium favorite, We Will Rock You. Do you remember that song? Mm, Nothing pumps you up like that. You know, music can just make us feel good, but in recent research, it shows that it can also influence the way that we see the world. Dr. Jakob Yoli uh, is an assistant professor of cognitive psychology and neuroscience at the University of Groningen in the Netherlands. He joins us now to tell us about his research and how music affects our perspective. Dr. Yoli, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Well, good morning, Matt. Uh, great to be uh, on your show. Great to be. Great um, to have you. Yeah, well, my pleasure. So talk to us 
about this? I mean, I guess we've always kind of sensed that music, you know, can pump us up. But how does it change our perspective of the world? Well, that's actually quite interesting. Um, we know that music has a, a strong influence on our emotions and our mood. I mean, that's, that's one of the reasons that we like to listen to music so uh, so often. But what we have shown in a recent experiment is that music can also directly change the way you perceive the world. Wow. If you are listening to happy music, you become more sensitive to happy things and in particular happy faces around you. But if you listen to sad music, sort of the opposite happens. You become more sensitive to sad or negative faces or information around you. And we believe that this happens because your brain is sort of expecting to see happy people if you are happy and expecting to see sad faces if you yourself are sad. Wow. Um, So, indeed, if you are in a particular mood, that pretty much changes the way you perceive the world. Because your study, basically, you would play music for people and then you'd have them see how many happy faces they would pick up. Exactly. We uh, had people in the laboratory and we asked them, well, bring your MP3 player or a mobile phone, put some music on it that makes you happy, put some music on it that makes you sad, and then uh, we're going to ask you to do a face detection task. And this task was a, well, basically it was participants were looking at the monitor and this monitor contained all kind of noise, basically as if you're looking to a TV tuned to the wrong channel. And every now and then a face would pop up. And then we asked the participant, well, what emotion is this face? And it turned out that if they were listening to happy music, they were far more sensitive to happy faces. And if they were listening to sad music, they were far more sensitive to happy uh, to, to sad faces. Mm. And the weirdest thing actually was that even in, in trials, occasionally we left out the face altogether. If people were listening to happy music, they quite often thought they had seen a happy face, whilst in fact there was no face at all. <laughs> and the same thing happened for the sad music. They sometimes thought to have seen a sad face, whilst in fact there was no face to be seen at all. Interesting. So they're and, picking up the cues. Yeah. I mean, from the music, they're conjuring up, they're creating images. Exactly. The, uh, the most interesting thing, actually, is that, that we have confirmed that using a, a technology to measure people's brainwaves, EEG. Yeah. And that experiment actually showed that if you look at people's brainwaves, the moment that they think that they are seeing a face, it is as if their brain is actually seeing something that isn't there. So these, you might even say these are mild hallucinations. Uh, they're actually there because your, the visual part of your brain thinks that there is something to be seen out there. Hmm. So apparently your brain is constantly expecting things to happen. And every now and then it mistakes its own expectations for something real. That is amazing. And And you were using their music, right? So you weren't like identifying, uh, okay, this music is happy music. This music is not. You say, choose your own music that makes you happy. And that's... there's there's a lot of research into what makes happy music happy or, or sad music sad, but the reality is that it's in part the music itself. We know that specific chords or melodies are more interpreted as, as happy, uh, and other chords or melodies are more interpreted as sad, but everybody has his or her own, own memories going with music or his or her own associations. For example, you can have a very happy song, but if that happy song... Uh, happened to be the, the favorite song of a, a relative who deceased and that song was played on a funeral, it won't have that happy connotation for you anymore. Oh, interesting. It changed. So 
it 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 definitely changed. Associations in music are, are quite strong. Um, if you listen to particular songs, it does something to your brain, to your emotions, and to your body. But these primary reactions can be changed by associations. Um, there definitely is something to music that's universal. There are things that happen to our bodies and to our brains whenever we listen to music, no matter uh, uh, what culture we come from. Uh, but the uh, associations we have with that, the memories, and, and therefore also the emotions, might change from individual to individual. And therefore we ask our participants, well, bring your own music because you know best what makes you happy. Um, we could do some educated guesses, but in, in general, it works best if you ask people to bring music that makes them happy or makes them sad because right. they know best. So I guess it doesn't matter, like the 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 old you know joke about moms and dads not liking their kids' rock and roll music. It, it um, the, you could take a hard rock metal piece that sounds like torture to someone else, but it could make someone happy, and the hard rock music could still facilitate this positive perspective yes if if that is a particular song uh someone has a positive association with okay. it will change their perspective that's great although i have to say that uh, that moms and dads not liking uh children's music it's, it's a very culture thing actually one of the most fascinating thing uh, studies in that respect is that if you look at today's uh, uh children so let's say uh, adolescents and and um if you ask them, well, what's actually the best music you like? Well, of course they will come up with what's presently in the top charts. But if you ask a bit further, they actually still do like the old classics that their moms and dads are like to listen to, like Led Zeppelin or, or, or uh, I, I don't know what's in uh, uh, these uh, golden cla- classics. Yeah. So there seems to be some universality in that respect there. The, the generation conflict and appreciates music is not that big, actually. <laughs> Good. So it's not that big of a difference. Now, what's going on scientifically then? So when we're listening to the music, is it, I guess, is most of the benefit and um, the enjoyment being, is it just in our brain or is it in our body? Is it, I mean, because a lot of times it seems like we actually get in sync with the music. Our body is almost keeping the beat. Absolutely true. And that's actually something that's quite unique to humans. Um if we listen to music, we're quite capable of hearing the beat in music. And you can actually show with some very clever experiments that even very young children, infants of about two weeks old, are already capable of doing that. Um, a group of scientists has studied that by looking at brain waves uh, of, of these very young children. They let these infants listen to music, and every now and then they left music, it's actually a very simple drum beat. And every now and then they left out uh, one of, of the beats. Now, what usually happens if you spot such an obvious mistake in music is that your brain responds with, with a very specific brain wave. Huh. Um, we call it the oops brain wave. It's, it's an <laughs> error, uh, error related to brain wave. It's basically your brain picking up something, hey, this is wrong. And these researchers showed that even very young infants, two weeks old, already shows, show this, this particular brain wave. And this is remarkable because uh, if, if you look, for example, at monkeys, um, they can't do this, or, or your dog, your dog can't do that either. Hmm. So if you would let your dog hear, uh, listen to a, a drum beat and occasionally leave out one beat, your dog wouldn't notice. There are some species that can pick it up, though, and particular parrots and cockatoos are very good at picking up the beat in music. So really? They've got a good rhythm. 
Yep, they do. There that, are these brilliant uh, uh, video clips on YouTube of, of Snowball, the, cock- the, the cockatoo, who can really dance to music exactly in the beat. So there are species <laughs> that can pick up the beat to music, but uh, uh, for, for primates and, and particular sort of the, the, the species closest related to us, we are quite unique in, in being able to, to, to do that. Oh, that is amazing because, I mean, that means at two weeks old, your child is kind of intuitively learning at a very, very deep level, aren't they? They're, they're, they're understanding, they're feeling it, they're recognizing it. Exactly. And it's not just that your brain generates this oops brainwave the moment that a beat is missed. If you look at what's happening in the brain, if we are listening to music with a specific beat, uh, all, parts of the, all kinds of parts of the brain become activated. There, we actually have an internal uh, uh, stopwatch or um, metronome that, that starts ticking in the beat of music. And it actually plays an important role in movement. A fascinating study that's been carried out a couple of years ago has actually shown that if you look at the uh, uh, the beat of the music, um, your uh, uh, the parts of the brain that move your body, we call it the motor cortex, um, it actually sort of starts becoming activated in sync and in such a way that every beat it becomes easier to make a movement. Huh. So it's easy to move within the beat and it becomes harder for you to sort of move out. Off beat, yeah. So... Um, it's, it's actually quite fascinating. It, it pretty much shows that dancing uh, is a very natural thing to do. Yeah. I think everybody notices that if you sort of pick up the beat of music, you start moving. But that's something that built into your brain. It's something your brain automatically does. That is so amazing, which is probably historically, you know, even connected to tribal roots where we had, we would communicate through the dance or through a beat. Or I mean, it's oh, it's powerful stuff. We're talking with Dr. Jakob Yolai. Uh, and we are discussing the power music has to influence your perspective and your mood. When we come back, we're going to continue this discussion. If you want more information about his great research, just go to his website, www.yolai.com. Yolai is spelled J-O-L-I-J, J-O-L-I-J.com. And uh, you can get all the information about his great work over there in the Netherlands. We'll take a break. When we come back, continuing this discussion of the power of your music and just a lot of intuitive, natural things you do when it comes to music and dance. Up next right here on The Matt Townsend Show. friends have you ever just been sitting there they're playing a song and you just start tapping your toe you're keeping an amazing rhythm as if you were a professional drummer with sting you like sting sting was a drummer right it's a good time that apparently did you know from about two weeks old human babies you we have the ability to do that and pick up that rhythm and recognize when a beat has been missed. Isn't that amazing? We just thought they were just a little lump of flesh. Nope. There's a lot of stuff going on inside of our brains. But we all know, too, that 
a really beautiful song can move us, and we have, a, and uh, it can actually create a perspective for us. Uh, some great research by our current guest, Dr. Jakob Jolai, out of the University of uh, Groningen in the Netherlands. He's teaching us about the power of music to um, influence us and to, to create a perspective. Happier music that you deem makes you happy is more likely to help you f- see happier faces, maybe your happier symbols in the world, than when you use negative music that you deem as negative. So we really ought to be careful, then, of the music we're listening to. Dr. Jakob Yolai, welcome back to The Matt Townsend Show. Hi, Matt. Love, I Hi. love what you're teaching us. Well, thank you. It's, 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 indeed, it is great stuff. It's absolutely fascinating. Definitely one of the topics that that keeps me uh, keeps me busy. I bet it does, and especially. I mean, I can just imagine now. We have so many people around the station here that love music, and they've always been motivated by it. And now I think we've got the research to kind of prove it. Talk about just um, the, how perception works, and so um, you call it a top-down processing. What what does that mean? Well, one of the, the interesting things in, in perception research is that over, let's say, the past 10 years, we, we started figuring out that everything that we believed for, for about 100 years is not wrong, but that, in fact, it's more complicated. Hmm. Basically, if you talk about seeing the world around you, people quite often think of their eyes as a kind of video camera that, that simply register everything that's going on, and that's what you see. But what we now know is that it's a bit more complicated than that. Actually, what your brain is doing all the time is predicting what might happen next. Just to give you an example, I'm not sitting here in, in an office, and I pretty much know what this office looks like because I'm here every day. Right. That means that I can rely on my memory for an important part when I'm trying to understand what I'm seeing. And recent research has shown that, indeed, that is what your brain does. Whenever information comes in via your eyes, your brain very rapidly tries to fit that with an existing memory, and what you subsequently see is not so much what the information comes in via your eyes, but far more a combination of your memory plus what comes in. And that's what's called top-down processing, hmm. because these memories, that's what we call top, are being sort of projected upon what comes in from uh, via your eyes. And um, it's pretty much been thought that, that most of this is based on, on memories and experiences that we had in the past. But the interesting thing is that this line of research where we use music to change your pers- uh, perspective actually shows it's not just your memory, it's also your emotions and your mood that determine uh, um, what you see, what kind of, of hypotheses about the world and expectations about the world your brain comes up with. And that does change the way you perceive the world around you. So interesting. So that is, um, so basically, instead of just assuming that we're just responding to the world, uh, I guess um, we're we're actually responding to something deeper inside of our brain. As yeah, it that's correct. is that it? Yeah. So, so so really, and it's so subtle because we don't even know. We don't even know. I, I guess that that's it. I, I've always heard, and I don't know if you've gotten into this, but only ninety percent of our brain are we actively even consciously dealing with with thoughts and words and feelings but the other 90 percent is that what you're talking about is this deeper part of the brain that is still processing and it's influencing everything you're doing well actually it's a bit more complicated than that it's very difficult to say how much of your brain is active at any given moment and how much of it we are aware of 
actually a very recent paper just came out a couple of day a couple of days ago shows that if we truly want to understand what consciousness is and, and how we become aware of everything that our brain is doing, we really should be looking at, at the interaction between different parts of the brain. So it's, it's very difficult to say of how many percent of yeah. our brain activity we are actually aware of. But what this research shows is that it's not so simple in understanding what we actually see, what our relation with the world is. It is not so that we are just sitting around and passively getting information in. Our brain is actually constantly trying to build it own, its, its own world. Um, and, and that's, of course, is, is extremely fascinating. Yeah. It, it, it's it's trying to influence our own yeah. world. Our brain is trying to influence and build our own world. Yes. And yeah. Probably one of the, there are possibly two reasons for that one. First of all, it's very simply a re- efficiency, uh, a matter of efficiency. This um, processing of information that comes in via the senses, it takes up a lot of energy, takes up a lot of time. From research, we know that if we put a participant in front of a monitor and he or she cannot use this sort of built-in library in their minds, it might take up to almost half a second before they actually completely understand and are aware of what has been presented to them on a screen. So processing information from scratch is, is rather time-consuming, takes a lot of energy from your brain. So what we now believe is that your brain is actually trying to be efficient, and whenever sensory information that comes in via the eyes, the ears, or whatever, whenever that matches a, a pre-existing memory or pre-existing expectation, of course, the brain's job becomes a lot easier. That's right. Than it simply, you become aware of what you remember. Right. And... Another reason why your brain might be doing this is that this way you can quite easily shift your focus to what's important for you at any given moment. Um, One example is that people who suffer from alcoholism uh, show a very strong bias towards seeing alcohol-related stimuli in their environment. Um, It might very well be that their brains are sort of wired, uh, rewired in such a way that they amplify alcohol-related stimuli. Yeah. And, and such effects have been shown for, for many other uh, 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 kinds of stimuli and, and, and circumstances. So it, it might add some flexibility to the way we process information coming in via the senses. That's interesting. And so without kind of uh, rewiring that patterning and looking for other data, you might be more likely to constantly find alcohol-based you know, imagery. Exactly. Um, in the Netherlands at the University of Amsterdam, one of my colleagues over there is, is working on, on strategies to change people's perception of alcohol that way. So what they are doing there is they are trying to train people to, even on a subconscious level, push alcohol-related stimuli away. So this looks, you can even do this in virtual reality, but um, the way they have set up their experiment is that a participant gets to see a particular stimulus, and these can be alcohol-related, like a glass of beer, or neutral, um, maybe a bunch of flowers. And what the uh, uh, participant in that case has to do is that he has to push away with the mouse alcohol-related stimuli and drag closer using the mouse these flower-related stimuli. Oh, interesting. The flowers will get bigger. And that creates a kind of unconscious link between pushing away alcohol and drawing closer, more positive stimuli. And the amazing thing is that actually works. It, it, It actually provides pretty good results. 
So these, these links that we have, uh, we, we apparently assign value to all kinds of, of, of stimuli in the environment. And these values that we assign to these things change the way we perceive them. But we can also change these values by these simple experiments. Well, what a powerful way to – so really you're talking about teaching us cognitive almost – I guess cognitive skills – to to re to re kind of wire ourselves and alter what we're seeing. Music is one of those, I guess. But um, there there are, I guess it's some of this is just cognitively noticing your patterns. Yes, um, definitely. Uh, there there seem to be sort of shortcuts to achieve the, this rewiring and evaluation of of, of information easier. Uh, a very recent experiment that we did used uh, social influence, so. In this task that we, we typically use for these uh, kinds of experiments, uh, participants are focusing on their computer screen. They see faces that are embedded in noise. Um, now, music makes you more sensitive towards happy or sad faces. Right. But what we, what we can also do is simply give the participant a cue. Like, you're going to see a face now. Now, of course, most of the time we give a correct cue. But every now and then we... we sort of lie to the participant and we tell him that there is going to be a face but in fact there is not going to be a face <laughs> now one of the interesting things is that participants then sometimes not all not always but, but but sometimes they are fooled and they report yes i've seen a face and if you look at their brainwave patterns they actually have seen that face hmm. but that is if we give these cues by means of a computer so the participant is sitting in front of a computer thinks okay the computer is giving me this information the situation changes hard uh, quite drastically if we make the participant believe that this information comes from other people. So typically we then have two or three people in the laboratory and we make them believe that they are helping each other performing this task. So we can then have a participant or two participants, uh, A and B, named, called them Alice and Bob. So we have Alice and Bob. Bob thinks that the cues or the hints that he gets on the screen are actually given to him by Alice. In reality, that's not the case. Huh. Yeah. But the interesting thing is that if Bob believes that the hints that he are uh, he is given are given by Alice, a real person sitting in the lab next to him, he's about three times as likely to follow these hints and indeed change his perception than when Bob thinks that these hints are computer generated. Interesting. So um, we we want to follow it. it. Yeah. Yeah, we do. Uh, we really change our perceptions if. People tell us that there might be something to see or not something to see. It, it is, uh, for a large part, this is a well-known phenomenon in social psychology. We, we know this since the 1950s that people change their uh, uh, reports and, and perceptions as a result of social influence. But what our study actually shows is that it's not just the button they press. Uh, it's actually their brainwave pattern that changes. Their, their brain act, brains actually start to make up things that aren't there. That's and so again, amazing. it doesn't happen always. Yeah, it's it's not so that if I tell you, uh, hey, there's going to be a pink elephant in your studio, that you see it. Right. But in these kinds of uh, circumstances where people are working together on a difficult task, that's where you find these effects. And again, it probably has something to do with your brain just trying to be efficient. Mm-hmm. Um, it takes in information uh, from all kinds of sources and tries to come up with the best possible explanation for the pattern of sensory data that, that, that gets into it. It's just, it's just efficiency, right? And so, but I mean, that's interesting because it, we could, it could also leave all of us seeing results together that may not be there. It could get us 
following an unhealthier task that maybe isn't productive and working, but we all think it does. Um, and yet it could do the opposite. I guess it, you could also go down a more positive you know, result and, and have hope about something that could work. Absolutely. It, it, it's, uh, it might definitely help that way. Yeah. There are a couple of real-life examples that, uh, that actually show that these kinds of processes might even play a role on a larger level. Uh, here in the north of the Netherlands, we have large natural gas reserves, which we have been pumping up for, for a couple of decades right now. But as a result, we start to see an, an increase in earthquakes. Not like the Netherlands are geologically a very stable country, but we do occasionally have an earthquake because, well, our gas reserves are being depleted. Um, and it's a big thing right around the area where I live right now. Huh. A lot of people are afraid that, that there might be earthquakes. So about a year ago, we had this very weird incident where um, we just had a couple of these earthquakes. And if you go on Twitter, you can actually see people reporting earthquakes from all over the province. Um, about two, a, a year ago, we had this incident where an airplane flew over, uh, crossed the sound barrier. So there was this loud sonic boom. And around that time, a lot of people started reporting, my house is shaking, and I see everything moving. <laughs> Earthquake. And, and, well, it's really a big thing. Yeah. But the odd thing is, when sort of the, the Royal Institute for Seismology started to produce its report, um, there wasn't an earthquake. Hmm. Absolutely no evidence that the Earth had shaken at all. So it turned out that, indeed, it was the sound by, uh, produced by the sonic boom that really made people believe that their houses were shaking and, and that they actually believed that they had seen things moving around, whilst in fact that was just a, a figment of their imagination. Right. But at a pretty big scale, because they were expecting an earthquake, yeah. uh, they right. heard something that did not fit within their normal view of the world. Um, right. Their brain started to make up an explanation for that. And that, that really shows that these kinds of processes can, can not only work sort of in a, a lab, but also in... in in real life. Oh, yeah. And I guess that and they already had associations with that being an earthquake. Uh, as we wrap True. this up, um, again, we're, we are speaking right now with Jakob uh, Yolai, uh, Yolai from um, the yes. University of Groningen in, ne- in the Netherlands. Give us, um, just give us, we have about a minute. Teach us what we should do then. Like, what are some best practices with our music if we want to try to keep our lives a little bit more uh, you know, our, our perspective a little more optimistic, a little more positive-centered. Well, that, that, that's fortunately fairly easy. What you should do is focus on music that puts you in a good mood. That, of course, depends a bit on, 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 on what you feel like. But in general, if you are do want to have more energy and, and, and feel a bit more happy, listen to music that's a bit upbeat, has a, a well, strong beat in it, uses major chords, particularly if you're grown up in a, a Western culture, obviously. <laughs> um, but generally, that is what makes you happy. Sort of the association with moving and, and moving your body in general puts you in a good mood. And what also, just put up on uh, a smile. That's one of the weird things about your body as well. If you start smiling, you start to feel happier. So <laughs> put on a track with a strong beat, up-tempo, major chords, put on a smile, and that will definitely put you in a better mood. I love it. Dr. Jakob Yolai, thank you so much. And again, everybody go to his website. Tons of information there about him. His blog is there. Uh, some of the lab work that he's doing as well. Uh, Yolai, his website is www.jolij.com. J-O-L-I-J.com. It's called Belief, Perception, and Cognition. Powerful insight. 
man, a lot of what we're doing is just automatic, isn't it? We're just feeling it and doing it, not necessarily just because it's always effective. We'll take a break. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. What a fascinating, fascinating idea. We, we always knew the music pumped you up, right? It got you in the mood. It pumped you up for what you needed. If you've ever been to, like, a sporting event where they needed to pump you up and they're introducing the athletes and they turn down the lights and start playing that music, obviously it works. Come on. But did you know also that it... Um, it actually then sets up what you actually go looking for. So if you feel positive and up, you're more likely to find smiles, rainbows, and unicorns. If you are down, you're more likely to find unhappy faces, I guess smog, and not unicorns, but uh, whatever a negative correlation to a unicorn is. A dragon. A dragon. Since we're talking mythical creatures. What do you mean mythical? Dragons. Unicorns are not mythical. Yes, they are. <sighs> Sorry. James. Did I crush hopes and dreams? Did you hear that? Yes, I did. The whole crowd was just Our in-studio audience is now devastated? Yeah. Sorry. Hey, sorry, in-studio audience. Were you devastated? Give me a yes or no. Yeah, see? Yeah. <laughs> They that can't. one guy swallowed his tongue there. Was... I think that one was choking on something. <laughs> Could I get you to check on that one guy? Just make sure. We don't want anyone to die on the show. Get on that, James. Um, but uh, there's bigger news. Huge news. Huge news. Membership of the country's largest trade organizations for the jokesters, known yeah. as clowns, yeah. have plunged over the past decade because of declining interest, old age, and higher standards Hold among on. employers. The, so the Association of Jokesters, which I, by the way, the, I used to be vice president. I was supposed to. The World Clown Association is the official name. Oh, World Clown Association. The yeah, the person they, writing the articles. The, being creative. It, it's dropping. Yes, it's plunging. It says there is a okay. There's because a World of Clown de- declining, Association. Declining interest, old age, and higher standards among employers. <laughs> Don't you think that widespread widespread fear of clowns would also contribute? Yeah. I think it was Chucky. Wasn't Chucky a clown doll? No. He was just a just a like my little buddy. Yeah, he was nobody. But it seems like Chucky, ever since Chucky came Stephen out. Stephen King's It. Yeah, It. Yeah, okay, yeah. It. That freaked a lot of people out. So one scary box office hit. Well, that, that didn't do it. What they're saying is people aren't interested in being clowns anymore. And well, then, I and disagree. Then there's higher standards, so people are like, eh. I mean, there's, there's a, something to better. To be a I can clown, do. you've really got to pick up your game. Clowns of the, the the American International Clowns of the America International. So apparently, we have multiple clown associations here. <laughs> clowns of America International <laughs> President Glenn Kohlberg says the older clowns are passing away. Membership of the World Clown Association, the country's largest trade group has dropped from 3,500 to 2,500 since mm. 2004. Kohlberg says that it's difficult getting younger people who develop an early interest to stick with it on a professional level. 
at Ringling Brothers, they don't seem to be feeling this effect. Yeah. They recently held a tryout. 531 people tried out. 14 were selected to attend a boot camp. 11 were hired. The circus keeps about 26 clowns on roster for its three touring shows. That's interesting because we keep like four clowns on roster here at BYU Radio. Yeah, at all times. Like 24 hours a day. I didn't want to name names. You but... walk in at any moment and there's a clown in the building. <laughs> See, that's terrifying. Does that scare so you? Scary. So that scares you. Why would that scare you? These people bring love. They bring joy. They bring red noses. There is a clown at BYU Radio 24-7. Yeah. How is that not terrifying? Squirty flowers. Yeah, and he, he got in so much trouble because you can't squirt around this equipment. Right. Yeah. I think it's interesting that the standards are, are going higher, uh, so it's harder to get. Yeah, it seems like you know people don't just laugh like they used to. Over some cheesy squirting flower. It's hard. And these guys, you know, there's got to be nothing sadder than a funeral for a clown. It's just got to be sad. They all go dressed up. Honk. They all, they all do like a 21 seltzer salute. <laughs> seltzer bottle salute. <laughs> they all pull up in a Volkswagen bug. And then that one guy that's kind of new trips over his floppy shoes. and It's not the same. Yeah. But it's good slapstick comedy. Well, yeah, but then it's sad clown. and Yeah, I mean, again. Yeah, yeah they, probably, they probably play Tears of a Clown and, you know, yeah. kind of have that melancholy but Like, can you ironic. imagine just taps being played for a clown? Yeah, it's kind of, kind of a weird situation. But, yeah, so a declining hmm. membership in some of the biggest clown trade unions in this country. Well, we got to do something about that. That's an epidemic. How could how could we change that? Well, I think if we just had half of our team go be represented by the clown union, and we're already qualified. Clowns of America International. Uh-huh. We could have a BYU broadcasting clown contingency. Wow. BYU BCC, it's called. It'd be the BCC. Or the BBCC. That might get confusing. Yeah, with the BBC. Yeah, but we just add one more C. Just keep BBC, that. Keep C. that in mind. Keep that in mind. I had no idea. I had no idea. Okay, I gotta keep. You know what? That's a big deal. There's crises on all different levels happening. Let's just let's just keep pushing the envelope, though. If you're out there and you are a lonely clown and you need support, you want to be. You want to feel like you're a member of a team. Give us a call. One eight five five chat BYU. <laughs> we have counselors waiting, standing by. <sighs> Hour number two. It's in the book right there, my friends. And we saved some clowns. Three of them that I can look at right here. We'll be back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Giving you the tools to live longer and love stronger right here on BYU Radio. everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I am your coach, Dr. Matt Townsend, your guide on the side. We do what we can on this program to give you the tools you need to, uh, to find your healthy, happier life. Good morning. Monday morning to you. 
as you're uh, about your day, and probably some of you on the way to lunch, some of you on the way to work. Welcome to the program. Hey, I had a great weekend. Uh, I had a magical moment with my cute little 10-year-old boy. It was We had the birds and the bees talk. Whoa. It was huge. We actually went looking for a basketball standard to put in our backyard, and he came with me. So you're at the sporting goods store, and you go, well, there are times when you just get yeah, into it. Kind of, kind of. Well, he was having a lot of fun just at the store because there was like 20 basketball hoops, and we just handed him a ball, and he went and ran and shot. That kind of wore him out a little bit. Then I promised I'd go get him a shake. So I went and bought him a shake. And while we were in line at the shake, he's my last child that hasn't had the talk. Mm. So I had this little prompting that said, now's the time. Let's just give him the talk. And it was the greatest thing in the world. Right there? I just started. And he did not know we were having the talk. Okay. When I had the talk, it was we go into this room, we shut the door, we no. sit down. There's a book. Yeah, no, with, we go through the, there's a book. the animated book. I was like, "There's animation." Yeah, no, we didn't use animation, but we. Um, so every one of my kids, we just I take them to lunch or to somewhere, and then I just kind of spring it on them when we're out. They don't know. It's sad because you're all. By the way, it's the last time any of them have ever gone anywhere with me alone. Absolutely, he's gonna do it again. It was so great. And then finally, in the middle of the whole thing, because I always tell them, I'm going to teach you something that none of your friends probably know about, but they always talk about. They use words. It's a good approach. And and, and so you're going to learn something here that is the real deal, and you're going to know something your friends probably don't know about. And like, have you ever wondered where babies come from? He's like, oh, yeah. Have you ever heard the word sex? Yeah. And I go through like, and then we start. So you find out a baseline. What, what does he know? Yeah. What does he know? What, what, what you what may need to hear? fix. Yeah. <laughs> and then it was the coolest thing. Oh. So I bought him a shake. <laughs> anyway, about – there's a point and it happens with every one of my kids where I, sometimes they're eating a really nice meal, sometimes – whatever. But you can tell when they've had enough. And they just – he just put his shake down. <laughs> he was done. I'm done. And right then I knew. Can't hear okay, this anymore. We're done. We're done. Because I go, you put your shake down. He's like, yeah, I don't want it anymore. (laughs) (laughs) He was done. And that was about – I kept driving because I didn't want to drive home because then he'd just bolt. He's got to decompress, yeah. So we just kept driving around. He's like, where are we going? I'm like, I'm just going for a drive. (laughs) And then once – so it's a basic rule, folks. When the kids put the food down, it's time to be quiet. I just change the subject. And he's actually super happy because now he knows. Right? I'm like, now don't you go teaching your friends. But when your friends think that babies come from the mom's belly button, now you, now you know. You know they're wrong and they you don't. Just let them figure that out. What's well, good? Yeah. So, you know, it's just, it's just, it was a great, it was quite bonding actually. So, parents, get out there and teach your kids. This is one of my favorite things I've ever had to do in my life was teaching my six kids. It's scary for some people. I don't know why. I don't know. It's awkward. It's it's really not because they're just curious on a ten year old level or an eight year old level. I mean, most of the time, I had one kid that just had a million questions, and better I tell him than he finds out on YouTube. You know, and it's on there. Oh, it's on there. (laughs) Anyway, so that was my weekend. Tons of uh, tons of fun at the Townsend house. Did you guys do anything exciting? Wedding reception. That was about five minutes of my life. 
Yeah. So then you went to the car. Yeah, we walked in, said, you know, congratulations, left, went to dinner. How how can you get out of there in five minutes? They're they're flyby. Drop off the gift, hit the road. Do you talk to people? I don't know. Wait in a line? There was no line. I don't know anybody that's there. I know, but don't you still like my wife? It doesn't matter if I know anybody. My wife's going to meet somebody. My wife knew a few people. They sat down and talked for a few minutes. And, and what were you doing? Just standing by the punch bowl? No, I went over, sat down, okay. and I like, have the kid. Did you eat a donut? No. I mean, donuts. That's what they're eating at yeah. James's wedding. I don't eat donuts. Just saying. I'm going to keep close tabs on you to see if you leave in five minutes. <laughs> it's not really five minutes, but you know, it's you talk to a few people, say hi, and. James, at your wedding, I'll be there all night. Perfect. I'm going to find a table, plant myself. The, the closer I, the more I know the person, the closer yeah. I am to them, the longer I stay. What's like, the longest like, you've ever stayed? My brother's reception, I was there all night. I'm, I'm here all night. I That's was it. in charge of like matching people. Oh. Actually, I sat at a like table. A, was it a dating service? No, but you, know, you didn't want people kind of you know, stuck on the sidelines. You wanted people conversing yeah. and having so a good you, time. You, and... Yeah, you got, yeah, you were like the, you were like the cruise director. Sort of. Yeah. I had a vest. He made me wear a pink vest because mm-hmm. he's, you know, that way. But, uh, but yeah, I know. I, I didn't, I don't necessarily enjoy those types of things too much. Yeah, no. A little social. I mean, a lot of us don't. Yeah. So you, you, you say hi to a few people. My and... wife loves it. Yeah. This is the greatest day of her life is when she can go to a wedding. I had a BYU radio discussion. Did you? Yeah, they're like, where do you work? You explain. BYU Radio, Sirius XM 143. How do I get it? Yeah. Is it in my car? No. Well, if you have Sirius Radio. Are you a middle-aged millionaire? And they're like, oh, it's satellite radio. Yes, satellite radio. Yeah. Or you can get a streaming where there's an app and there's podcasts. You can go to get your app and get your BYU Radio app. You can get it in the app store. Yeah, so you have that discussion. And then they look at you like, well, that's a lot of work. And then my favorite, I know someone that works there. At BYU Broadcasting? Yes. Yeah. Where? Well, uh, they work, and then they name one of the 400 people that work here. And you're like, I'm no. sorry, I haven't had a chance to meet that person yet. And I then that awkwardly ends the discussion. Well, that happens with pretty much when you say where you're from. You're like, oh, you're from Oregon. Do you know so-and-so? Absolutely. Well, of course I do. I mean, it is you know, a state that only has some odd million people like, in it. There's four of us, so absolutely. Yeah. Why'd you call them odd? Oh, a, a number. People in Oregon aren't odd. <laughs> Okay. Just, they have a million something. X amount of people in million, the state. Two million plus people in Oregon. Yeah. Not odd. Probably like. Even if the number was odd, you don't want to you know, attach Even. That. Even. Even odd. Several yeah. mu- million even people. <laughs> Sad day. You all right, Terry? I'm okay. Terry's giving a stink eye. Yeah. Trying, to, trying to assess what's going on here. What, uh, we're just talking. just talking. So we talked about net neutrality for a while. Yeah, we did. The idea that people are afraid that big cable companies are going to come in and mess with the ability you have to access a certain, say, like Netflix. Yeah. They'll slow them down so you can't access your movies. Well, the the solution to that was Comcast was messing with Netflix. So Netflix pay, paid Com- Comcast some money, and right. then all of a sudden Netflix works fine. Some people called it a ransom. Other people called it a uh you, you pay to play type of concept. And, and net neutrality was supposed to make that so all, it didn't happen. All better. All go away. This weekend, the Wall Street Journal came out and said that HBO, Showtime, and Sony have all been speaking with internet providers, including Comcast, about the possibility of being treated as a specialized service. Hmm. 
and they want to pay a fee so they can get a quote-unquote fast lane on the internet. Here we go. So what net neutrality was trying to stop, these guys are voluntarily trying to make happen. Make happen. So then comes the point of did we really need to go through that whole net neutrality discussion if the companies are just going to volunteer for it now? Yeah. Well, yeah, we did because everything has to be a fight. Hey, I took your advice, by the way. What's that? I went and tested the speed of my internet. At home? Everybody needs to do this. It's fun. It is the greatest thing in the world. And I I don't want to brag. Are you pretty fast? It's killer fast. Yeah. 91 megabytes per second. At home? Yeah. Wow, that's that's like coming here and working. It's like working. BYU Broadcasting Building. Okay, this is going to blow your mind. What? A few months ago, yes. I tested it at home. I was getting over 200 megabytes a second download wow. and upload. Did you have a crazy. spaceship on the roof of your building? Yeah, I did. But then but now it's down to like 5. Yeah. So that was that, that didn't last long. That was you were being throttled. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there, there was a network issue. Yeah. So everybody go all you got to do is go on Google and look up check Wi-Fi speed and it'll give you a bunch of different tests you can take. I would probably choose one that doesn't come from your provider. Yes. <laughs> Just yeah. call uh, me old-fashioned. Whenever I have problems, I call my provider, and they go, go to our website. And I go, I would prefer not to. I'd rather go to this other website. Because <laughs> it also tells you your download speed and your upload speed. Mm-hmm. Now, my upload speed isn't very high. My download speed, rocking. Which is great if you want to stream stuff, right? Yeah, a, a common one is speedtest.net. That's a really good one to Speedtest.net. Yeah, speedtest.net. But go test it, because then you know how to complain. Because if you're paying for a certain amount and you're getting half of that, then you can go say, look, speed test says this is messed up. And remember, I I borrowed – I mean I didn't borrow. I paid for two years of advanced high service, quality service where they'll not only give me one trillion megabytes per second, but they'd also – They'd get my firstborn into college. It was that kind of a program. That's some good service right there. How much did that cost you? I don't want to tell you. But I didn't have the router that could deliver the power. So for two years, I paid for a service without the router to deliver it. And then I complained, and they're like, oh, yeah, you need a router. Well, what's that going to cost me? Well, I don't know. Do you have another child? I'm like, yeah. (laughs) Do you have another child? right there. (laughs) What limb are you willing to sacrifice? That's right. So anybody, go, go out there. You can just do it. Speed test on your Wi-Fi. It'll change your life. Plus, it'll give you some ammo to go call your provider. Now's the time, folks. We will rebel. We're not even going to name any of the providers. You can go fight your own. Uh, We're going to take a break. When we come back, what if I told you uh, that if you're not careful with Facebook, it could be impacting negatively your own well-being? We've talked a lot about well-being today. Music. Now we're talking Facebook. When we come back, Jennifer Baker, Dr. Jennifer Baker is going to join us and talk about uh, some research that's been done about the impact Facebook has on your psyche. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends. Little YouTube. It's a beautiful day. Just get on Facebook. You and 890 million other people log into Facebook daily. Did you know that? 
There are 300 million photo uploads a day. A third of those come from the Townsend home. It's a lot of photo uploads. We're on it all day long, right? We log into Facebook. We think we're going to be fulfilled. All these happy thoughts of family vacations, growing babies, married couples, graduating students, laughing friends. But while you slave away at work or sit down after having three screaming kids, uh, putting three screaming kids to sleep, you may have noticed that you're also feeling a little jealous that other families are basking in Cancun or their kids are all so perfectly matched in their photos. No one's screaming. Is it possible that all the time on Facebook may not be providing as much happiness as we expect? Dr. Jennifer Baker is joining us. She's an associate professor at the College of Charleston, and she suggests that if you use Facebook passively, you may experience a decrease in um, effective well-being. Dr. Baker earned her Ph.D. in philosophy, philosophy from the University of Arizona and specializes in research on virtue ethics. She's also taught at Duke, UNC Chapel Hill, and looks to ancient ethical theories as positive examples of how ethics might or ought to be done today. Dr. Jennifer Baker, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Hi, thank you. Great to have you on the show. Uh, you, you talk about uh, passive Facebook uh, activity versus active. What, what do you mean by that? Well, it's, I mean, it's, so interesting to see what researchers have done with Facebook. I think they knew early on that this was a great opportunity for them. It seems like a new study comes out about every day. Right. I mean, it's a great database for them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and it's got this active audience, right, that you could probably plug into fairly easily. Yeah. Well, Facebook itself sponsored research on a billion users' um, expressions of happiness. You know, I mean, you just can't, wow. couldn't do things like that before, before right. Facebook existed. But they've found that we really use Facebook differently. I mean, there there aren't real neat and tidy conclusions because we're all so different, I guess. But um, there are passive users and active users. And they've found that active users can increase their effective well-being. So that shouldn't be a big surprise. People who enjoy Facebook and interact a lot on Facebook are are right that they're enjoying it. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So the passive ones, we're not participating as much, right. so I guess we're not doing as much on it. Right, and they can even ask people to not participate. That's what this most recent experiment um, had students do. They asked them to just passively watch Facebook, and then they gave them surveys on how they were feeling and how huh. they thought about other people's happiness. And when you're forced to just kind of watch Facebook, um, watch the posts, you have uh, higher ratings of other people's happiness than you would otherwise, and um, you report envy. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. So, so you have a little sense of envy, and is is it simply because you can't manifest your your activity? You can't go do something about it, or what is it? I I mean, what's amazing to me, and what's real clear, is they don't know yet. I mean, they've just identified envy as um, playing a big role. Because they have researched Facebook usage and depression, and they found a direct relationship, but it was negative, believe it or not. So, you know, it's just amazing they can do this on all of us, right? But um, use of Facebook doesn't seem to lead to depression or anything like that. But if you use Facebook passively, it leads to envy, which they can associate with negative um, affect. Oh, interesting. (laughs) So really, I guess one of the outcomes we know is... 
you, you're more likely, if you're passive about it, to feel jealous or envious of the lives of others. Yeah. And I can do that experiment on myself. I've noticed if I'm bored and I'm just looking around on Facebook and I've posted too much, so there's no chance I'm posting again. Yeah. I start feeling like I need to be cut off. <laughs> it's true. It's totally like, okay. true. Fourth but, page I visited. This is it. Yeah. And then you're like, okay, I'm done. And, and part of it, part of it too, I guess, is I mean, because you're you're watching, I guess, everybody else and right. their great lives. And if in the moment you're not having that moment, you would envy it. Right. Right. I mean, one thing I was surprised by is that people aren't less reporting they're less happy uh, just by using Facebook a lot. Early theories suggested that we'd be making ourselves feel less happy because we're just sitting there on a computer instead of, you know, doing other things. Right. Increased feelings of happiness. But um, we must enjoy it. I mean, even surveilling, um, if you do it a bit actively, people are not not reporting they're negatively affected by that. As creepy as that sounds. Well, well, yeah. In fact, that's what they call it, uh, creeping, right? So Facebook (laughs) creeping, when you're just kind of in checking your friends or your enemies. Does it matter who's on Facebook or whose images you're seeing? I mean, I don't think they've gotten to – they're definitely going to be looking into that. I mean, but they – I don't think they've gotten to that level of specificity yet. The most specific look I've found um, they've made into Facebook usage is what we do when it's raining. Isn't that funny? That is weird, yeah. Yeah. And, and so <laughs> so if, if it's raining, what we go to – more negatively. Oh, man. Isn't that funny? It, it actually kind of makes sense, I guess. I mean, some people would equate rain to negative, but I love it. I mean, to me, it's like yeah. party. We get to stay in and take a nap. I feel that way too. But um, and it's funny, you know how science is. So uh, the average rainy day decreases the number of positive posts by just one point one nine percent. Interesting. Yeah, but that's so enough to tip it over. They're looking at some detail here. Yeah, but you <laughs> you do more than study Facebook. You study happiness. And I know yeah. you you talk about different notions of happiness. What do you, what do you mean by that? Well, I am um, reading these studies, but very critically because I'm I'm an ethicist, so I do philosophy, and we don't have the friendliest relationship with um, social psychology, right? Because we tend to think, I mean, the type of uh, ethics I do is um, called eudaimonism, and we suggest you can't be happy unless you're ethical. Hmm. And that's yeah. not on the radar yet of most social psychologists. Yeah, I guess they think you can live two lives. Yeah, they, they I mean, there's a lot of uh, debate within their field, but um, they don't seem to make the same distinctions philosophers do between how we feel, how our life is going, right, and then um, our ethical self-regard. Hmm. So you, you, in yours, you believe... Your life correlates to your ethical practices. Yeah, it's it's a very old idea. I mean, as yeah. old as Plato and Aristotle and the Stoics, but we still work really hard on it today. And we and we you know we try and match it up to behavioral psychology, and you know we're sure. we're we're open to modern criticism. But yeah, the idea is that if you don't work on yourself, um, you're not going to have anything more than natural happiness. Um, and so, with that approach, the idea that we'd avoid Facebook because of envy doesn't make sense to me, because if you experience envy, it's an opportunity to work on that Yeah, losing envy, right, right. <laughs> and you just don't find this in the literature on effective well-being. They just see it as a bad thing. You know, if you feel bad, turn Facebook off or 
post more often. You know, they'll give you advice huh. like yeah. that, yeah. very short term. But um, the ethical approach I, I work on would suggest that if you feel envy, that's something you should really work on. You shouldn't. You shouldn't feel envy. You should, yeah, you should feel, find another feeling to replace the envy. Right. I mean, I, I thought it was real obvious to me that Facebook made me a, a, a better person because before Facebook, I would check in about old past acquaintances with my friends in just the typical way, you know, how is Joe doing? Mm-hmm. And I, I, I know we sounded um, negative when we, t- we wanted bad news, you know, yeah, it's just yeah. gossip. And then now on Facebook, since all of our high school friends are on there putting themselves in their best light, it's helped me to get over that childishness, you know. Uh-huh. Um, and so someone who might not be paid that much might have a great weekend, right? Or someone I thought was uptight might show a picture of her living room with uh, kid toys all over it. Oh, I was wrong. You know, she's not that uptight. So to me, people putting themselves in their best light was a good reminder um, of what I was doing in the past when I was just gossiping about people to kind of feel better for a minute. But I guess this could go beyond Facebook, huh? Because this could go to anything. This could go uh-huh. to if, if you feel bad going to dinner with your friends because you feel more jealous. That's right. the, that's the same virtue ethic you got to work on. That's right. I mean, the Stoics put it really well. If it's something good the other person has, you should be happy for them. If it's something not that great, some kind of phony, you know, or like mm-hmm. a carefully edited selfie or something that's making you jealous, you shouldn't be jealous of something like that. Yeah, it's it's irrelevant. <laughs> it's not it's like real. Really clear. Oh, that's either so be true. happy for them or don't acknowledge the um, phony good is really a good. The phony good. That's so yeah. great. Let's take a break. We're talking with Dr. Jennifer Baker. She's teaching us about ethics. Believe it or not, who to thunk. But it's, there's power in recognizing, you know, when you are out of your value system, when you're out of your own core and or your moral kind of foundation and, and, and learning to make an adjustment instead of just doing more of something, Facebook or talking about people. Let's start adjusting our ethical approach to life. More with Jennifer Baker. This is the Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. We are speaking with Dr. Jennifer Baker. She is um, a professor at the College of Charleston, and she suggests that if you use Facebook passively, you may experience a decrease in effective well-being. But she's also teaching us that, um, you know, if, if Facebook impacts you negatively, maybe you ought not just run from Facebook, but maybe you ought to go learn what it's teaching you about you. Is that right, Jennifer? Yeah, that's a great way to put it. Because it's, it's not just that Facebook makes us mad or sad or angry. It's, it forces us to have to deal with our own ethical you know, view. It really does. I mean, it's right there in our, in our face. So if we you know, feel irritated or annoyed by other people's happiness, you know, hopefully that should, should bother us. It's not going to get better if we just avoid Facebook. See, think, so just think that. So before Facebook days, if you you know are at dinner and someone says, "Yeah, oh, did you hear the brother-in-law just got a promotion and now he's senior vice president and he's making a lot more money," 
in your head if you're like, are you kidding me? That <laughs> jerk. Ugh. So if that was happening, and that always happened before Facebook. Right. Right. This goes back to the old days. So right. that was me needing to deal with, look, I couldn't even celebrate the good things that happened to this person. I need to deal right. with me. Although, to be fair, I mean, if it's not an actual good, you know, some people are jerks. Yeah. So th- this, this ideal um, that's from the ancient Greeks, it isn't. It, it really doesn't suggest um, that people be perfectly nice or anything right. like that. So a jerk getting something good could be something that worries you. <laughs> <laughs> it, it could worry you. Uh, now, yeah. Gandhi, Gandhi had a quote that said, you cannot attempt to be something in one compartment of life that you're not in another compartment of life because life is one indivisible whole. I'm so glad you brought that up because it's not just that um, Facebook is part of our daily lives and we're kind of faced with all of our acquaintances daily now. It's also um, that we're on there with our aunts and our friends from college and our coworkers. And people used to worry, you know, before they started doing uh, much research, some philosophers had worries about Facebook, that we'd lose some freedom in mm. having just one identity like that. You know, we, we wouldn't be able to compartmentalize our lives. Right. But just personally, I've noticed that the kind of self-control that's required to say something that doesn't offend my elderly <laughs> aunts or my students or my, you know, children's friends, parents, um, <laughs> has been really good for me. I mean, it's not impossible to do, to self-edit like that. Yeah. And it, also, we can't do snarky, angry, bitter commentary easily on Facebook like we can on anonymous boards. Right. And that's, that's Is interesting. Is that a loss or a gain? That's interesting. Yeah, because on the, those anonymous boards, highly offensive. Like, and then right. it, and it always seems to degrade into the most base type of human <laughs> experience. I guess, right. but some would cry. Well, it's honest. But yeah, it's honestly yeah. disgusting. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and people really worried about being um, identified with their anonymous comments. You know, it shows you how stressful it is, uh-huh. even for the commentator. They're saying things they would never say in public if they were identified. And the ancient ethicists would suggest that you're really losing out if you don't um, work on being an integrated person, just like your quote suggested. So some so of this is, is a reminder. So whether whether it's a, an anonymous board or whether it's a, a you know like Facebook, a very public kind of uh, display, we need to be we need to have our uh, the outcomes that we show there parrot or mirror who we are really morally, ethically, our our real values. Yeah, right. And it's funny how um, before Facebook, it was easier to avoid that type of requirement that we act integrated, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? So now we will have moms commenting on college students, you know, weekend pictures. And before that was probably kept from the moms. Um, so we, ha- we had more privacy, um, but it's not clear that that's always a good thing for us. Right. Isn't it? So, so in a way, you, you're, it's a great experiment for you. And yeah. your dog, by the way. Yeah, that's uh, all right. Don't worry about it. It's a great experiment because this is forcing us to 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 have to answer that call. Right, I think that's right. I mean, we also get feedback from others. I've noticed this: um, if someone is too braggy in their post, they'll often be confused as to why people aren't liking it as much. Uh-huh. And I know researchers are just beginning to look into this. That we do feel very bad if our posts aren't liked. I, th- I think they've they found that's true, but. They're going to be researching this more and more. But to me, as an ethicist, I don't think that's something that should be avoided. I think it's a pretty good lesson in how we're coming across. Right. If you're open to or, or 
but those people might just think, oh, they're all idiots. Yeah, right. They don't know yeah. how great I am. <laughs> hard to sustain a view like that for too long. It's really true, though. I don't care about yeah. them. They're all idiots. Oh, I hope they <laughs> like my post. <laughs> yeah, that's a whole other problem, isn't it? It's probably out of the ethical realm and more in maybe the psychological. Uh, but I, I really, I think you're, I think it's really powerful that you're saying, that you're teaching us this, because envy is just, if you're feeling envy or jealous or really, I guess, any negative right. moral uh, feeling, I guess, it's it's telling you something that you need to deal with, not just avoid. Yes. That's what we think. And the social psychologists, you know, they aren't so interested in ethics, so they'll treat us as if we're all passive. Mm. You know, if something makes you feel bad, that's just their conclusion. And they also generalize across all of us. You know, you, you know, think of how different our situations are. Right. So I'm not suggesting everybody can be tough enough to, you know, self-introspect after some bad feelings from Facebook. But most of us, if, if we're getting bad feelings and if happiness is our job, then the idea is that it's an opportunity to look at to what to change. And there are a lot of things we can change. We can stop valuing things um, that we currently value. You know, um, we can change some of our behavior that doesn't give us that kind of feeling of acted, acting in, a, in an integrated way. We have a lot of options. That's, I mean... And this is this really is the Stoics then too, isn't it? That's kind of yep. back to what they used to teach. Yep, that's right. I mean, it's funny how uh, Plato and Aristotle and the Stoics all share the same theory. So they have different details, but they all share the same theory that in order to have to be happy, you have to be moral, and it's a requirement that you change your character to be moral. We aren't naturally good, mm-hmm. but we have the potential to develop a good character. It's kind of a second nature. Oh, I love it. Jennifer, yeah, it's good. It's, it's good stuff. we're going to have to have you back on and uh, oh, pick, pick your brain on more of these subjects. One of the great um, points that you talked about is avoiding Facebook is not just a way of avoiding others, but a way of avoiding parts of ourselves. Right. You can't get away from it. If it bothers you, it's you. You yeah. got to go work on that. Right. And, and, if and there are options. Well, and if, it, if it's if it's a principled reason to be bothered, then. You probably because somebody's really damaged or doing something bad, right. um, then then you can work at it from that angle. But that's you, right. but you and probably don't need to have envy or something. That's right. It shouldn't be envy. It'd be something more like you know calm judgment of right. the situation. That's right. And then you feel peace. Then you feel at peace. That's the goal. And oh, then that man. that's true happiness. That's right, Jennifer. Where can they reach you? Uh, you have a website. Oh, uh, you're on psychologytoday.com. Any yeah, any other I, place they should go find you? I think all of my work is kind of linked to through all those blog yeah. posts, that type of thing. Just look for Jennifer Baker. Uh, appreciate you, Jennifer. And uh, I think I'm becoming a Stoic uh, in the great tr- tradition of ethicists. We're going to take a break. When we come back, speaking of ethicists, we're going <laughs> to – moralists, I guess, probably better. We're going to be going to BYU Sports Nation, our great friends over there. Uh, and and Spencer and, and Jerem are going to kind of walk us through what's coming up on their show at the top of the hour. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back after this break. Welcome back, friends. To the Matt Townsend Show. That's the hoedown music. It means uh, we're coming up on the uh, 
the end of the show. But before we we give anything up, before we give up the ghost, we're going to first go to BYU Sports Nation. Our good friends Spencer and Jerem are standing by getting ready for their show today. Hello, gentlemen. Give up the ghost. That's, that's one of Jerem's favorite song lyrics ever. Is it really? Why, huh? You've got a great voice, Spencer. No, I don't. Wow! Did you know, did you know Spencer is on the YouTube in an in sync? Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Awesome. Oh yeah. That it's we, really good. In fact, my uh, my kids keep watching it. <laughs> they wow. do not. Yeah, and we've asked them not to. <laughs> Just we, we want to get that. guidance. <laughs> yeah, we want to. Yeah, it's an NC seventeen rating. <laughs> so we're trying to talk them out of that. YouTube filter. Hey guys, have you been watching any basketball? Um, what is this basketball yeah, you speak in of? between church and work? Yes, <laughs> that was. Uh, did you see the Wichita game? Oh yeah, I mean I that was on that... the Sabbath, but I was watching. Yeah, that was actually one of the upsets that I picked that worked out. The did other you ten call games, that? The other ten games I called didn't work out so well, but uh, yeah. NC State and oh. Wichita State. Yeah, both those worked out. No, no. Now, why did you choose NC State? They're I know why team. I did. They're kind of bipolar, and I've never been sold on UNL or uh, Villanova. Okay, you know, I just I, NC State won at Duke, so I'm like, they're they're a weird team. They they can beat some really good teams, and so I just took a chance on them. And then Wichita State, I think, I was severely underseeded. Yeah. Uh, so they are Kansas, good. I think, is one of the most overrated teams in America. So I took Wichita State over Kansas. I chose uh, NC State because they're from North Carolina. Okay, which is a basketball state. You may not, you may not true, like that. That's, true statement. That know? that is great logic. See? My dad's from Asheville, and my wife chose them because they're red, red and white. Wait, what? That'll happen. Isn't that how that works? Why did your wife choose them because they're red and white? Red's her favorite color. Oh man! She also chose Utah. <laughs> <laughs> Who's in the Sweet Sixteen? Can you believe? I mean, th- you guys, it is. This is game time. But I, the, why are we waiting a week? That frustrates me a little bit. You know what? Honestly, well, till Friday. I feel like they- they're student athletes, Matt. No, they come need on. to go to class. <laughs> you just sounded like my <laughs> algebra teacher. That's exactly right. It's an <laughs> archaic old thing. Meanwhile, the NCAA ignores baseball and how they travel almost every <laughs> I know. day. It's not it fair. Like. Hey, how's how's BYU doing in the baseball arena? You know, they've won uh, nine of their last 11. They're four and two in West Coast Conference play. They got off to a rough start, but they've uh, they were seem- two and ten. seemingly oh, turned a corner here yeah. in uh, the early part of West Coast Conference play. So things are good, and I couldn't be more happy for Mike Littlewood. He's one of my favorite people and favorite coaches at BYU, uh, also an accomplished referee, hmm. uh, officiated two Sweet 16s while we're on the topic of NCAA basketball. And so he can really? tell us why the West Coast Conference officials are so Horrible, 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 horrible. <laughs> where, where is he officiating? He's uh, not anymore. Not anymore he's because he's a BYU coach at BYU. BYU. Oh, he had to go all in. But he was the yeah. Dixie uh, baseball coach. Okay. And on the side, he would ref uh, all sorts of games, some of which are Mountain West games, but he couldn't do BYU games. Yeah. Be careful how you say that because you don't want to offend the officials. Oh no! I want to no, offend the officials. No, I don't. I don't care. Live, live it up, dude. Live <laughs> up to the live up to the calling. Okay. There's, there's a fake account uh, called at WCC officials. Uh, oh, we have a hate hate relationship. <laughs> Do you? Really? Yeah. What's your fake name that you use? No, it's my real. You use your real name. Yeah. Hmm. No, at at Jerem Jordan, my account. Yeah. And I at interact WCC with them. officials. Yeah, at WCC officials. Oh, Jerem, they, you might they be called me out and us. said, "We'll see you in Spokane in a dark alley." <laughs> And I said, bring your which whistle. I did, said, bring it. <laughs> hey, guys, I've got some good news or bad news, depending how you look at it. Let's okay. just say 
all this BYU broadcasting stuff went away and we had to go get another job, I know where we should all go. Okay. Where? Um, I don't know if you heard the news, but there is a clown shortage. Oh, boy. According to the World Clown Association, World Clown membership has dropped about a thousand clowns since two thousand four. <laughs> what's the clown? What's the dude's name on Family Guy? He he he's a clown on the show. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> see, that's he the can't deal. recruit Cameron. Cameron. Is his Cameron? Name on the show. See, that's like one of those ad placements where the Clown Association have they've they've penetrated mm-hmm. Family Guy and they're trying to get more clowns out. Modern there. Family. Yeah. Modern family. Than family. That's guy. right. No, totally. That's right. Let's be very clear. <laughs> very different. Modern, Modern family. Modern family guy. Not family guy. Uh, but so I think I think we'd have a shot. That's a clown question, bro. That's a clown question, bro. Let's, have you heard? Do you know that story? No, no. You guys, I Bryce Bryce Harper, LDS, yeah, yeah. Uh, all star f- outfielder for the Washington Nationals. Right. Someone asked him a dumb question, and he said, "That's a clown." Do you know question, what the question? You know what the question was? What was it? It dealt with. What his favorite alcoholic beverage is because they were playing they, north of the border in Canada and like he could legally drink if he was in Canada. Uh, and people know he's Mormon. And yeah. he's like, That's a clown, clown question, bro. That's a clown <laughs> you question. You should YouTube bro. that. You should YouTube <laughs> that. You know, and we really ought to make funny. that a hotkey. <laughs> yes. That's a clown question, bro. Clown question, bro. Uh, so let's just be real. Um, are, you guys in, are you guys in or not? Are you, do you want to go to the, the clown, clown thing? They're having an association no, meeting out. here on campus. My wife would divorce me so fast if I told her I wanted to become. There's not one thing in this world that creeps her out more than clowns. I know, but doesn't my wife already thinks I am one? (laughs) It. No, thank you. Mm, Okay. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. You don't want to scare her. Nope. Or do you? (laughs) 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 Okay. All right, guys. Well, have a great show today. Hey, thanks, Matt. Uh, Remember who you are, and make sure you put that clown face on. March Madness. It's a good it's a good week. Thanks guys. Take care. Ah. Why is everybody so afraid of clowns? What did they do to you? That clown question, bro? Yeah. There's the Bryce Harper clip, but there's also the Harry Reid clip that he used like a week later. Did he say the same thing? He tried to mix it in because it turned into a kind of a big thing in that area in the DC yeah. area, and so he tried to mix it into an answer to a press conference. <laughs> Nice try, Harry. And it was like really slow, and that's a clown question, so we'll have to look at it. I remember hearing that, and I didn't get it. Yeah. That's how off it I am. Hey, we've got a, a – have you seen this uh, Carly Rae Jepsen video um, out on YouTube? You may remember an actor uh, named Tom Hanks. I've heard of him. So Carly just sits here. Maybe hit that for us, James. Carly invites Tom to be in this video. Pump that up a bit. So this is Tom Hanks agreed to just sit and voice lip sync lip sync this entire song and he is the video. Yeah. Like right now he's getting out of his bed or you know he's looking in the mirror. He, and he walks through like Chicago or wherever. He's dancing in the streets. Dancing. Yeah. But he's dancing with Carly's voice. It's a great song. Well, but it seems like it's a better video. Because Tom Hanks is in it. Yeah. What do you think makes a Tom Hanks want to do this? I don't know if this is a great song. Well, it's it's just really, it's, I it's really like you. pop music factory stuff. You're so anti-factory. It's stuff. called, her, did you hear the chorus there? It's yeah. I really, 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 
really, really, really like you. Like you. That's, that's and, hard. So instead of lyrics, she just repeats one word 15 times. Oh, and As somebody that's tried to write lyrics to a song, well, if you can use one word six times in a row, that just shows you really, 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 really like someone. Is that what it means? It has not, not you know, lack of creativity? I think or... what it shows is the English language is struggling a little bit. We need a different word for really like you, five or, or she needs square. a different writer, or she needs to write better, or be more creative, or... So that's what's great about the his, don't push about out, Spanish Don't watch the language. video. Because Spanish has other words. Yes. I quiero, I want you. But the story... Amo. The mucho, sto- mucho. Mucho, muy, 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 oh. muy, mucho, amo. <laughs> Me and some of the producers looked up yeah. the origin of how Tom Hanks got on that video. Oh, what's the story? They were at a party, and he went, yeah, sure. Wow. That's what he said. Let, hey, uh, he was asked, and he went, "Yeah, I'll do it." Take a note here, James. So okay. No story. I want to get Tom Hanks. Okay. You want to get Tom Hanks? Are you putting this on the chalkboard? Yeah. Get Tom Hanks okay. to get Tom uh, Hanks. come do a segment with us. So we have all these computers, and they can't spring for a whiteboard. They brought in a chalkboard. We're gonna. Now he's gonna. Get, he's got chalk all over. It was in surplus, so I got it. Okay. Uh, see, see if he can do that by Friday. Okay, do it by Friday. Can't we just like put this on a phone or something? Just type it into some notes? Can and... you just print that and send it to me? Yeah. Chalkboards. Good luck on that. I'll take a picture of it on my phone and I'll print it out and then I'll give it to you. That's funny. You just ask. See, I think you ask. We've got some great guests coming up over the next few weeks because we just asked them. It's a weird thing. They won't come unless you ask them. What, the guests? Yeah. Well, you got to make some plans. Yeah. Say, hey, do you want to? And they That's usually the go, yeah, the producer. sure. Unless it's Tom Hanks and he goes, what? Who are you? I'll be in a video. I'm not going to come on your show. Make a video. Put that on the chalkboard. Make a video with Tom Hanks. <sighs> Whatever. Hey, um, anything else? Any news that we got to get over? Got got to get through here. You know what catfishing is? Oh, yeah. Remember we talked about catfishing oh, yeah. in the breaks? So BYU is about eight guys on eight, BYU. Eight women. Oh, eight women. On this, uh, the BYU campus, were uh, all duped by the same quote-unquote man that was actually a 24-year-old woman in Texas. So it was a woman playing on the heartstrings of these women on campus. She through, was acting like a man. Through texts and phone calls. And they all kind of fell for this it was this situation. It and in, in a couple situations, the relationships were several years long. Oh, are you They'd kidding? have situations where, like, they would set up plans that they the, the man would come, be coming to visit for her birthday. Mm-hmm. And then at the last minute, there was a scheduling conflict. There was work. There was oh. something. And w- there were several different instances where they almost met, but, oh, then there was a problem and it just didn't didn't work out. And the relationship went on for a while. And um, a, yeah, after after a few of those, you start to yeah. think, wait okay. a second. There's a very basic rule here. You have to text, and then text should get you to phone calls. If you're not talking to somebody but you've been dating them for months and you're not talking to them regularly, daily, day in and day out, it's really not going anywhere. you got to get them on the phone. Come on, no catfishing. Anyway, now you've riled me up. we got to get out of here, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Can't do it without you. We'll be back tomorrow. More fun, more ideas to help you uh, love, uh, love stronger and live longer. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back tomorrow right here on BYU Radio.